You're unmuted. Good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the October 2nd, 2023 regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Mirna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Dean Preston and Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin. The committee clerk today is John Carroll. Thank you so much for supporting us today, Mr. Carroll. I would also like to acknowledge the folks at SFCUP TV for staffing uh, this meeting, and I want to point out that our clerk uh, has this lovely tribute to our departed Senator Diane Feinstein, who was, of course, so important in these chambers and to the history of our city. So with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential, and we will be taking public comment today as follows. We will hear public comment first from those who are attending the meeting in person. If you have comments on any of our agenda items, you can line up along uh, the right-hand side of the room. And then following that, we will hear remote public comment from folks who follow the following instructions. Dial 415-655-0001. You'll be prompted to enter the meeting ID. Today's meeting ID is 26640944017. Press the pound symbol twice and you will hear the meeting discussions, but your line will be in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up on our agenda and public comment is called, please dial star three and that will add you to the speaker line. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment in writing in either of the following ways. You may email the comments to myself. I'm the Land Use and Transportation Committee Clerk, and my email address is john.carroll at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of October 17th, 2023, unless otherwise stated. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Clerk. One more announcement, and that is that uh, many folks are waiting to provide public comment for item number four. Uh, I am going to limit uh, the uh, comment to one minute for item number four. We already heard it, uh, and um, we probably will hear it again. You may remember that we heard this item last week. Um, and that folks uh, were preparing amendments, which uh, by uh, our laws means that, um, you know, some of them are substantive. They have to sit for a week, uh, and we will be voting on that at some time later, where folks will also have time to give, to read the amendments and give further public comments. Uh, so with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, Clerk, please let's go to item one. Agenda item number one is an ordinance amending the park code to restrict private vehicles from a portion of John F. Shelley Drive between the upper reservoir parking lot and Manzel Street in McLaren Park. Uh, thank you so much. We um, have Brian Stokel here uh, with Rocky Parks. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Chair, Supervisors, Clerk. The item before you is the John F. Shelley Drive road closure in McLaren Park. My name is Brian Stokel. I'm a planner with the Recreation and Parks Department. 
The proposed ordinance would amend the park code to restrict private vehicles from a 2,100 foot long portion of John F. Shelley Drive between the upper reservoir and parking lot and Mansell Street in John McLaren Park. We're here today to ask the Board of Supervisors to approve removal of vehicle access to a portion of John Shelley Drive to create a slower and more walkable park street that's also safer for more accessible and improves mobility and equity. The photos here show people using and enjoying the current temporary promenade on Shelley West. John McLaren Park is San Francisco's second largest park. It's located in the southeast part of the city. It's nearly <laughs> surrounded by environmental justice communities shown in pink, including the Portola Visitation Valley, Sunnydale and Excelsior, and nearby to the Bayview and Oceanside neighborhoods. <clears throat> Shelley Drive forms a 1.3 mile loop in the northern half of the park. Let me share with you the different segments of Shelley Drive for better orientation. First, we have Shelley West that connects from Mansell to the upper reservoir parking lot, passing the field of dogs. Then we have Shelley North that continues from the reservoir parking lot and the water tower, past the new playground and on to Cambridge Street. And finally, Shelley East from Cambridge to Mansell. This street uh, goes past the amphitheater and also acts as a connector street between the Portola and Visitation Valley. The McLaren Park Vision Plan was adopted by the Recreation and Park Commission in November 2017 and then published in April 2018. The plan called for considering ways to improve safety and connectivity among many other park improvements. Regarding roadways, it also called out for exploring, quote, trial roadway treatment such as closing a portion of Shelley Drive to calm the road and to open up the closed segment to non-vehicular uses. The roadway was called out for traffic calming to address three key things, speeding vehicles, the lack of sidewalks, and consider residents' sense of safety. When the pandemic began, Shelley North and Shelley West were transformed into a one-mile promenade back in April 2020, at the same time when JFK Promenade was initially created temporarily. The promenade proved very popular with local residents. In 2021, with the reopening of the improved group picnic and the opening of the new Redwood Grove playground, Reckon Park responded to public feedback by returning vehicular access to Shelley North, shortening the promenade to its current half mile length. Now cars could drive to these sites and to the upper reservoir parking lot while also maintaining a promenade in a portion of the park. The Rec Park Commission approved a resolution on June 15th, 2023, supporting the Shelley Promenade. The commission resolution recommended that the Board of Supervisors legislate restricting vehicular access on John Shelley Drive West permanently. For a little more description of the promenade, it's mostly flat, even though this is quite a hilly park. 
It provides excellent views of the Pacific Ocean and San Francisco Bay. The new promenade would also complement the existing Mansell promenade and add additional length to the trail network and enhance overall connectivity in McLaren Park. Car access and parking is still maintained at key park sites, including a playground, picnic areas, and the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater. The vehicle restrictions proposed would not have any neighborhood traffic impacts based on SFMTA analysis. For a little more detail on how we propose to treat each end of the promenade, the department proposes at the north end to maintain upper reservoir parking lot marked in yellow to access the water tower and nearby picnic areas. Also to install par uh, accessible parking space marked in blue on Shelley Drive to connect the promenade to this new spot, parking spot. On the south end, the proposal calls for restoring street parking at the Field of Dogs used by many dog walkers and a clear request by the community. We also propose to pave an existing dirt path to connect the Mansell and Shelley promenades at their flattest point. That's marked in red and orange on the map. The new paved path would create an accessible pedestrian connection from the nearest Muni bus stop. And in addition to at both ends, we would install a series of bollards and barriers and a gate to protect park users at each end of the promenade. Currently, we're working to identify specific funding for these uh, treatments, but we're very confident we'll find that. Rec Park conducted three community meetings between 2022 and 23 that covered Shelley Drive, uh, but were overall for the park. There was one meeting that was specifically about Shelley Drive. We received very strong support, actually unanimous during the meeting, for the promenade proposed today. In addition, based on site counts, the pedestrian and bike usage surpasses previous vehicular use prior to the pandemic. The proposed legislation is supported by multiple city policies, including Rec Park Strategic Plan, which called out reimagining public rights of way for recreation-focused open space, the Planning Department's open space element, and SFMTA's Transit First policy. We consulted with the SFMTA and Fire Department on the proposal. The MTA found that the promenade if permanent, would have no significant adverse impacts on the local vehicle and transit circulation and would promote walking and biking to in the park. We at Rec and Park are excited to be able to promote equitable access for walking, biking, and other active uses in McLaren Park, as we do in other parks throughout the city. We recommend passage of the proposed ordinance to amend the park code which is co-sponsored by the mayor and Supervisor Walton and supported by the following community organizations. The McLaren Collaborative, Walk SF, the Bike Coalition, SF Urban Riders, Kids Safe San Francisco, the Friends of Great Highway Park, and as mentioned earlier, it has received a letter of support from the SFMTA. That concludes my presentation. I'm available for questions. Thank you so much uh, for the presentation, Mr. Stogel. This is 
great and amazing, and I think it'll vastly improve the park. I spent a lot of time there. It's closer to my house than Golden Gate Park, so um, thank you so much. It's, it's overdue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Any questions or comments? Okay, um, I would like to be added as a co-sponsor as well, um, and let's take public comment on this item, please. Thank you, Madam Chair. Do we have any public comment on agenda item number one joining us here in the board chamber? If so, please line up along the right-hand side all, um, of the room and come forward to the lectern for two minutes. And if you're connected remotely, please dial star three and that will add you to the queue. First speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon, Supervisors. Zach Lipton in full support of this Shelley Drive promenade. Uh, fortunately, this isn't JFK, not least because I have to get back to work and none of us have nine hours for everyone to line up and, and give their say. Um, this is a really small, um, narrow, narrowly tailored plan that provides the southeastern neighborhoods of our city with some desperately needed car-free space um, while only impacting a small portion of Shelley Drive. It still ensures full vehicular access to the group picnic area, the newly remodeled playground, the parking lot, and everything else McLaren Park has to offer. Uh, the promenade's been in place for several years now, and unlike JFK, has really generated only positive feedback, near-unanimous support, and um, a lot of support from the dog walkers who use the nearby field of dogs, and of course support from Supervisor Walton. Uh, this is an important project because our commitments to equity and Vision Zero say that we really need to spread these kinds of spaces throughout the city. I'm glad to see the new accessible connections plan for Shelley, which will help make this promenade even more useful. And I hope we can take the small first step today and ensure we build on it by bringing some more of the programming and, and joy that we see in Golden Gate Park to the gem that is McLaren Park. Thank you. Thank you, Zach Lipton. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. My name's Linda Stark Lighthizer, and I'm speaking in favor of the proposal today. I'm very proud to be a 20-year advocate for McLaren Park. And as we discovered the beauties of McLaren Park and wanted to enhance them, one thing was critical. McLaren was not a pedestrian-friendly park, unfortunately. It was built in the 1930s when cars were considered to be much more of an asset to a park. Now, with the addition of this promenade, which has considerably slowed down overall traffic in the area and has allowed for the use of an area that had been basically unused except for cars and occasional vehicles that would be parked along it during the day. You see families, children, kids out on their bikes learning to ride. As was mentioned, it's a flat area in an otherwise very hilly neighborhood, but the views are spectacular and they can be best viewed on foot. This is a nice area that we feel is a fine enhancement to this. I've attended all the meetings. People are excited about this, and I think you will find unanimous support for this. Thank you. Thank you, Linda Lighthizer, for bringing your comments to the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Uh, hi, Chair Melgar, Vice, Vice Chair Preston, Member Peskin, uh, Luke Bornheimer. Uh, I urge you to support the ordinance before you to restrict private vehicle access on a portion of John Shelley Drive and McLaren Park, informally known as Shelley Promenade, um, and send it to the full Board of Supervisors with a positive recommendation. Similar to Car-Free JFK Promenade and Great Highway Park, the car-free portion of Shelley Drive has been a refuge for people to gather, connect with friends and family, recreate, improve their health, 
and learn how to use active transportation like bikes, scooters, and skateboards, particularly for children, seniors, and people living with disabilities. The creation and preservation of this space has been one of the silver linings of the COVID pandemic. It has enhanced our city and its approval as a permanent space for people will make our city a more sustainable and livable space and place for people of all ages and abilities, especially those who cannot or do not use a car, including children and many seniors, people living with disabilities and low-income individuals. We face a roadway safety crisis, a climate crisis, and a public health crisis, and car-free spaces like this portion of Shelley Drive help the city make progress towards addressing those crises. Supporting this ordinance will make us take action, help us take action towards addressing those crises, and you are in a unique position to help make a permanent, it a permanent space for people. Uh, please take that opportunity to lead for our people, city, and the planet. Um, thank you to Supervisors Melgar and Walton, as well as Mayor Breed for sponsoring this ordinance, um, and to the Recreation Department's, uh, Recreation Parks Department staff, notably Brian Stokel, uh, who worked tirelessly to create this public space, engage the public, and make improvements previous and proposed to an already great space. I urge you to support the ordinance before you and send it to the full Board of Supervisors with a positive recommendation. Thank you. Thank you, Luke Bornheimer. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is Amy Callender, representing the San Francisco Park Science, speaking in support of this ordinance. At SF Park Science, we partner with communities and public agencies to create, sustain, and advocate for parks and public spaces that welcome and belong to everyone. We believe in activating public spaces, bringing people into their parks, building community and ownership, and keeping our public spaces dynamic. Since being closed to vehicles in April 2020, this half-mile stretch of Shelley Drive West has been a valued space for recreational walkers and cyclists, and we're excited to see the expansion of open space in the southern side of the city, ensuring equitable access to public space for all San Franciscans. We would like to reiterate the importance of continued access to the dog park, the upper reservoir, and Redwood Grove Playground, a site we were glad to include in our Let's Play SF program of renovations. We would like to thank RPD for their efforts in designing and piloting this program, as well as their public outreach work, ensuring community involvement in planning for this beloved public space. Thank you. Thank you, Amy Collender. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, Supervisors. My name is Scott Feeney. I'm a Mission District resident, and I'm asking you to support this proposed ordinance. Um, during the pandemic, this location became like a really beloved refuge for me. Uh, it's a beautiful space. It's a beautiful place to watch the sunset, and it's just wonderful to have these car-free spaces. And I think Brian Stokel and his colleagues have done a great job on this plan, so I ask for your support. Thank you. Thank you, Scott Feeney. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Supervisors. Jake Price. I uh, want to just echo all of the comments that have been made previously and, you know, more car-free spaces, advancing our mission, or, uh, yeah, mission zero uh, goals is vital, and this is a strong step in the right direction. So thank you. Thank you, Jake Price, for bringing your comments to the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this agenda item in the room? Seeing none, we'll turn our attention to what I understand are three callers who want to speak on this item. Could we be connected to the first of them, please? Hi, my name is Joseph Nelson, and I'm here representing, or rather, I'm calling in representing the San Francisco Bike Coalition to just once again echo our support of this the Shelley Promenade proposal to basically turn Shelley West, West into a permanent car-free space. 
Um, McLaren Park is an incredible open space and San Francisco's second largest park, yet it often does not get the recognition that I think it really deserves. It is also surrounded by equity priority communities, um, as well as neighborhoods that are hosed, you know, housed, that are home to many roadways, uh, such as like Persia, Mansell, and Sunnydale, which are all part of the city's high injury network, uh, which is basically used to describe the 13% of our city's roadways that make up over 75% of the city's severe and traffic, fatal traffic collisions. Um, keeping Shelly Promenade close to cars is a great step forward in creating more spaces for people to uh, walk, ride, roll, however they may uh, choose to recreate, and to really just get um, some a chance to be outside. And I actually had a pretty good experience on Shelley Promenade several months ago when I led a ride with the San Francisco Bike Coalition, uh, basically looking to show people around McLaren Park and show uh, the wealth of space that is there and, and available for people to um, explore. And the unanimous support for Shelley Promenade has been a, a great thing to see, uh, especially considering how much it's really needed. Uh, so I once again want to fully echo our support um, to the Bike Coalition for this promenade to really create a permanent parker space in McLaren Park through the Shelley uh, Promenade. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Supervisors Melgar, Peskin, and Preston. My name is Marta Lindsay, and I'm calling on behalf of Walk San Francisco to share our wholehearted endorsement of making the carpet space on Shelley Drive permanent. Every day, an average of three people are hit while walking in San Francisco. Parks can and should be a refuge from dangerous vehicle traffic in our city. We need these spaces. Not only is the car-free space on Shelley Drive already hugely popular, but obviously, as we've already heard, these car-free spaces support the city's really important Vision Zero policy and climate goals. They also make our parks even safer and more welcoming for all ages and abilities, inspiring more people to be active. And they are attracting more people to enjoy McLaren Park in such a positive community-building way. And that is what our city is all about and wants more of. So. Um, with the passage of Carfree Shelley Drive, your leadership is you know, supporting health, safety, recreation, clean air for everybody in our park. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Great. Uh, good afternoon, David Pilpel. Um, so I don't feel very strongly about this item. Clearly, uh, others do. But I do think that it could have been brought to Prozac for their uh, review and comment. Uh, the Park Recreation and Open Space Advisory uh, Committee uh, exists to do a number of specific things, but they, in my view, also have uh, a, a, a authority and the ability to uh, review and comment on uh, major changes to parks, including park access, um, good, bad, and otherwise. So um, although this did go through the Rec Park uh, Commission, I think uh, in the future, uh, proposals like this should be brought by Rec Park staff to Prozac for their uh, review and, and comment as part of public outreach. I, I did see that there were three public uh, meetings, uh, including one specifically on um, access uh, here. That's great, but um, I just think Prozac uh, could be used more, including in a case like this. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? 
Hi, uh, this is Kate Bloomberg. I'm a, a resident of District 10, uh, and I'm just calling in because my son and I uh, rode our bikes in this open space just a few weeks ago, and we loved it. There's a point where you're riding your bike along, and you can only see trees. It's just gorgeous. Uh, so I very strongly uh, support uh, this proposal, um, and I would also like to uh, see the SFMTA work on better routes to uh, to get there because it was a little bit harrowing to get to that open space um, and that car-free space. Uh, but it, it's really lovely uh, and a wonderful space, and I think we need that on our side of the city as well um, as car-free JFK in Golden Gate Park. Thanks so much. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. And Madam Chair, I understand we have no further callers in the queue. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. With that, public comment on this item is closed. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Uh, Mr. Clerk, please add me as a co-sponsor on this item. Will do. Would you like to make a motion? Sure. <laughs> yes, uh, move to forward this to the full board with recommendation. Motion has been offered by Vice, Vice Chair Preston to forward this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors with the recommendation of the Land Use and Transportation Committee. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. Thank you. That motion passes. Let's go to item number two, please, Mr. Clerk. Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the administrative code to delegate Board of Supervisors approval authority under Charter Section 9.118 and, and Administrative Code Section 23.30 to the Real Estate Division and the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to amend certain existing leases regarding residual rent payments and lender protections for 100% affordable housing projects. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, I had in my notes that uh, Sheila was going to make the presentation, but okay. Go Hi. ahead. <laughs> Good afternoon, Chair Melgar, Vice Chair Preston, and Supervisor Peskin. I'm Jackie Tso, Director of Asset Management at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, and I'm here today with Sheila Nicolopoulos to uh, present um, a legislation that would delegate authority for certain ground lease amendments to the Department of Real Estate and MoCD's director. Um, earlier this year, we came before the Land Use Committee to present the original version of this proposed ordinance. And we have since incorporated your comments into amendment to the legislation, which I will summarize in the following slides. Next slide. To recap from my prior presentation, uh, MoCD manages and monitors ground leases for affordable housing on city-owned sites. Many of our older ground leases uh, are ones we inherited from the former redevelopment agency. And in MoCD's recent history, uh, as we develop new affordable housing, we use the ground lease ownership structure as a mechanism to ensure long-term affordability and advance the city's affordable housing goals. Terms of ground leases are generally 75 years with an option to extend for 24 years. And with these older ground leases, what we see is that many of them have a cap to the amount of residual receipts that an owner may retain. And any amendments um, to these ground leases uh, must uh, be approved by the Board of Supervisors pursuant to our city's charter and 
admin code. Next slide, please. So capped residual receipts are not only less favorable to owners, it is also inconsistent with MoCD's current residual receipts policy. As you're aware, um, over the last several years, as affordable housing providers dealt with the impacts of the pandemic, higher operational costs, loss of rental revenue, um, and also steep increases to inflation, many properties and even their organization as a whole really struggled. However, during these very challenging times, there were still some properties that were able to generate residual receipts, largely because they enjoyed project-based subsidies or tenants had rental subsidies. Um, in about 2019-2020, recognizing that MoCD could assist our affordable housing providers keep more of this residual receipts to the projects that generated them, we invited them to uh, submit applications to amend their ground leases and loan agreements which were inconsistent with our current residual receipts policy. Okay, next slide. So how have our affordable housing providers been using the residual receipts that they do have access to now? Um, what we've found is that they've been consistently reinvesting it back into their properties here in San Francisco. We've learned from sponsors like Mission Housing, Mercy Housing, TNEC, that they've been generating residual receipts from properties that have been able to generate them, um, have been used to fund replacement reserves in cash-poor properties. This is really significant because replacement reserves is a primary source of funding that projects access uh, to fund ongoing capital repair needs. Uh, residual receipts have also been used to support actual capital repair costs. So here in these photos, you'll see that we have some before and after photos of things like carpet replacement, remodeling of a community room, even exterior painting. And these sorts of improvements are really meaningful to the tenants who live in these properties and the staff who work there. And they just create very positive environments. Next slide, please. So this slide just recaps uh, the legislation that um, you saw earlier in April. Um, these criteria um, have not changed, okay? And I wanna reiterate that procedurally under this proposed legislation, delegated authority would be provided to the director of property. Um, MoCD's director, in consultation with our city attorney, would be responsible for making the determination that all of these criteria uh, have been met. Okay, next slide. What has changed in the proposed ordinance is that the list of projects that have submitted an application to amend their ground leases has been incorporated. You see in this chart 12 ground leases. Uh, they would be, under the proposed legislation, um, be, be able to take advantage of the streamlined process of delegated authority to amend their ground leases to make it consistent with MoCD's residual receipts policy. I do wanna note that we did strike out two properties. Um, Sierra Madre, they actually only have an amendment to a loan agreement. They don't have a ground lease. And Turk and Eddie, uh, their ground lease amendment was actually approved by the Board of Supervisors in 2020 already. So those two do not need to be on the list. Okay, next slide. 
So in closing, this is um, a technical implementation-related legislation that really seeks to streamline process. It applies to a very specific type of amendment to 12 ground leases and um, would make their residual receipts allocation consistent with current MoCD policy. Any other amendments made to these 12 ground leases in terms of their term, their annual rent, or any other, any other uh, portion of the ground lease, they would still have to come back to the Board of Supervisors under the standard process for those types of amendments. And this would not change any other amendments made to any ground leases that are not listed in the proposed ordinance. And of course, any new ground leases would come forward to the Board of Supervisors for approval. So with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Okay, thank you. I see President Peskin has a question. I'm a little confused. Where in the legislation does it refer to the 12 aforementioned properties? Yeah, and I just want to, um, there was a late um, addition. So there was an email sent out, um, I forget what time this afternoon, this morning. And um, in section... What time did you send that? I'm pretty current. I don't know. I don't, have I missed something this morning? Maybe around noon? Around noon. One moment. I didn't get no? it either. You didn't get it? I see something from It's from 1209. From Ms. Nicolopoulos. Is that? That's the one. Yes. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. And we apologize for that late submission. So um, you'll I'm sorry, just, just uh, to oh. clarify if it's okay. Uh, so these are then amendments to the legislation? That's I correct. See. Okay. That's what we added is these, a list of 12 specific ground leases. We named them. Okay. So it's under section 2B, and then we've itemized one through 12. Hold on, two. Ah, so beginning on the bottom of page three? That's right. Okay, so I guess this is a question through the chair to Deputy City Attorney Pearson. Do we need to make some changes in section two sub A? Oh yeah, okay, you have cross-reference described in section 2B of this ordinance. That, I haven't laid eyes on it until just this second, so I'd like to go through it thoroughly, but it sounds like it does what it you just represented. And I think that's kind of where we left you in May, which yes. was yeah, we shared the 14, um, which is now the 12. That's right. Which I am fine with, uh, with these changes. There was also some language in here that I thought was a little weird, and maybe we can clean it up, uh, depending on what the city attorney says. And maybe it's just a term of art, but um, I'm now trying to find it in the new version. 
this would be on new as amended or when it's amended page two line let me find it uh, 12 it says the authority to enter into and amend I just don't like the words enter into because it feels mm. like it's something new I realize it's constrained by the balance of that sentence but I would sleep easier if we took out the words enter into and just have it be amend. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I think that's fine. I'd like to just read the whole. Uh, yeah, I want to read the whole thing too. <laughs> just to make sure that the change makes sense in the con in context, but I think that's fine. I also just wanted to point out one of the changes here is that previously this ordinance would have been codified because it had been establishing a, a general rule. This is now an uncodified ordinance that just applies to those enumerated contracts. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for doing what we asked you to do and thank make you. it narrow and targeted. Um, and um, I imagine we're gonna have some public comment about this item, because I do see Sam Moss here. So um, maybe in the meantime, uh, we can read it and make sure that the wording is okay. So if there's no other questions, colleagues, uh, let's go to public comment, Mr. Carroll. We'll hear public comment now on agenda item number two. If you have public comment and you're here with us in the chamber, please line up before the lectern to come forward for your two minutes of comments. And if you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on this item, please dial star three and that will add you to the queue. We'll hear from you after we hear from in-person comments. First speaker, please. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sam Moss. I'm the executive director of Mission Housing Development Corporation. We're one of the nonprofits that are listed um, on the list. Ours is uh, Rich Sorrel Commons, the first affordable housing built in Mission Bay, um, and certainly a legacy of former redevelopment. Um, you know, nonprofit affordable housing developers, especially now, especially when the need for what we do is so much greater than the resources that any government agency, whether it be San Francisco, the state of California, and certainly HUD, are able to provide. We, we need the resources to be able to be responsive to the needs of our tenants and the needs of our buildings, and these residual receipts provide just that. Um, Unfortunately, real estate doesn't care when the next Board of Supervisors meeting is. It, it doesn't care. The roof's going to come down. We are having once-in-a-generation <laughs> floods and fires three times a year for the last five years. And that is affecting our buildings just as much as anyone else. Um, when we take on sites, we do so knowing that we, the nonprofit affordable developer, have made a legal agreement that if something bad happens at our buildings and that building doesn't have the resources it needs, we are going to pay that bill, the corporation. We're not going to call Mayor's Office of Housing and beg for money if we, if we have anything close to remotely close to the funds needed for that. And those funds come from residual receipts. And we're not, as Jackie, and I want to thank the Mayor's Office of Housing for all the great work they've done. They heard their nonprofit housing provider partners, and they've done it. And I, I just want to point out that um, residual receipts are a result of a building a lot of times being run well. They're residual. The reserves are funded. The, non, you know, the repair needs are taken care of. So we could take those funds and move them to a building that doesn't have enough money. Um, and every single nonprofit affordable developer listed on the legislation that Jackie and the Mayor's Office of Housing have so greatly re-delivered today, um, we all have 50 plus years each time in completed. history. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sam Moss, for sharing your comments. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? 
Hi, good afternoon, Chair Melgar and committee members. Uh, my name is Chris Cummings. I'm the Director of Housing Development at the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. Um, I'm here to speak in support of this proposal uh, since TNDC would directly uh, benefit from these changes. Um, just like a lot of other owners of 100% affordable housing in San Francisco, uh, TNDC really relies on these res residual receipts to directly support our tenants and property operations. Uh, similar to what Ms. So had mentioned, um, we're actually able to take residual receipts from our cash generating uh, properties and help offset uh, some serious deficits we have at other properties that have been disproportionately impacted um, by inf the inflationary environment and uh, non-payment of rent, especially uh, given the impacts of the pandemic. Um, we're also able to take residual receipts and directly invest them back into our properties in the form of capital improvements. Uh, to help uh, keep our properties safe, healthy, and quality. So um, I just want to thank you for your time and urge you to support this proposal by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone else in the chamber who has comments on agenda item number two? Seeing none, let's please be connected to the first of, I understand, four speakers in line for this item connected remotely. Hello, Land Use and Transportation Committee members. I'm Yelena Zilberfein, Vice President of Asset Management with Mercy Housing, and I'm here to support the request to delegate Board of Supervisors' authority on the ground lease amendments directly to MOCD. The, the passage of this ordinance would reduce complexity, save valuable staff time for affordable housing providers and city staff, and improve our ability to provide high quality affordable housing. Mercy Housing and our peers in the nonprofit affordable housing sector are still recovering from the financial impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mercy Housing alone has millions in outstanding tenant receivables with 2.3 million in San Francisco alone. Post COVID, we don't know what the new normal is and what sustainable operations look like. We're all feeling the fragility of the nonprofit housing sector. And in the last couple of years, Mercy Housing has used its residual receipts to reinvest back into the aging affordable housing properties, covering the cost of exterior painting, roof replacements, ADA compliance, and security measures, and improving the quality of life of the residents. Allowing amendments to ground leases would help us recover some of our crucial operating budget, not only ensuring high quality living environment for our residents, but also supporting our staff and delivering our mission. Thank you for your support. Thank you so much for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Uh, good afternoon, committee members. Uh, Whitney Jones. Uh, uh, Deputy Director of Operations for Chinatown CDC. I'm also calling in support of the uh, measure. Um, Chinatown CDC, like uh, my colleagues who've spoken earlier, has benefited significantly from the ability to use residual receipts in a different way the last couple of years, especially with the impacts of COVID. Um, our our uh, portfolio has a set of struggles that are mostly COVID-related that um, this will um, this will provide some assistance in addressing um, as we have benefited from it in the past. So I urge that you support this measure. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please?
Great. David Pilpel again. So I spoke on this item before in April and May. I don't have any particular issue with MOHCD or uh, affordable housing or uh, lease amendments, but I think very strongly that Charter Section 9.118, and in particular 9.118C, powers that lie with the Board of Supervisors cannot be uh, delegated in this way. In relevant part, 9.118C says, unless otherwise provided for in this charter, any lease of real property for a period of uh, 10 or more years, including options, da da da, the modification, amendment, or termination of any lease, yada yada, shall be shall first be approved by resolution of the Board of Supervisors. And then there's a carve out for uh, maritime uh, leases under the the Port Commission. So I said before, and I'll say again, I think if someone wants a carve-out for MOHCD or lease amendments in this way, someone can propose a charter amendment to effectuate that. But otherwise, I think it is not uh, a, a good idea, nor do I think that it's, it's particularly cool under the uh, charter to uh, delegate authority uh, like this. I'm sure the PUC, real estate division, all city departments would love not to have to uh, bring uh, leases or, in particular, lease amendments uh, to the board, whether it's to this committee, uh, budget and finance, or elsewhere, and would love to have this kind of uh, delegated authority, but I don't think it's good public policy, uh, and I just think that if they've got lease amendments to bring, they should bring them to the board uh, for approval by resolution as the uh, charter requires. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. My name is Jenea Jackson, and I'm the newly appointed CEO of HomeRise as of June 1st. I'm in full support of this amendment to delegate authority to MOHCD. The unprecedented challenges brought forth by COVID-19 pandemic have left scars on our housing landscape, with HomeRise feeling its brutal impact through significant losses due to unprecedented high vacancy rates, very slow to no referrals at time, and a $2 million in rent lost income with our tenants. Yet amidst these challenges, we're weathering the storm of some properties within our portfolio demonstrating resilience and strength, thanks in some part to our exceptional 93% resident retention rate, significantly outpacing the industry average of 85%. Meanwhile, other properties in our portfolio are not cash flowing, thanks to aforementioned factors. Uh, RCA apartments and Richardson apartments stand testament to our commitment and capability to provide steadfast, safe, decent, sanitary, and cash flowing permanent supportive housing. Should this amendment pass and we can tap their residual account, receipts accounts for capital improvements, it will help us operationally. With the delegated authority legislation, we can utilize these residual rents and distributions to help our other low performing properties with their capital needs. This is one of many tools that we need to have. So this isn't merely just policy, it's a lifeline. It's a catalyst for positive change. And really for us affordable housers, permanent supportive housing folks, this is really a beacon of hope um, to help us do business well and to continue to support San Franciscans. So it's with this understanding that I am urging you your support in this pivotal amendment. I think this is really important to bolster our San Francisco and make us stronger and for us to champion causes of housing first. Uh, I think this legislation is really important. So thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you so much for sharing your comments. And Madam Chair, I understand we have no further callers in the queue. Okay, thank you so much. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you to Jackie for uh, taking this on. Um, I know that the policy of the around residual receipts has been uh, a point of contention in the past, and so thank you for engaging with the nonprofit community and uh, having something that works uh, for your portfolio, but also for them. So much appreciated. Um, okay, uh, I do. I will let you ask your question or make your comment, uh, President Peskin. But I did want um, Deputy City Attorney to answer the question that was posed by one of the callers about the charter section um, that was uh, read? Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, um, the charter certainly requires the board to engage in many duties, but many of them, particularly those that don't require uh, discretionary acts, are delegable. What's been delegated here is a very limited number of approvals that have been described in great detail, so only those things may be done. There's no delegation of real discretion here. Um, as to the amendment that Supervisor Peskin wanted to make, that's fine, and I'm happy to prepare that now if the committee would like to move it. Okay, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Um, and I would like to uh, delete the enter into and, so just so it says the authority uh, to amend existing leases. And then in subsection five or maybe uh, subsection six uh, D, I just wanna, I realize that this implies this, but it could say it even more clearly, uh, which is to use the boilerplate language that says that in, and in no way shall it change any material terms relative to the length of the lease and, and the like. Uh, there's really one word in subsection five that says solely, um, but it would be just nice to have a very clear sentence that makes it abundantly clear so nobody gets confused going forward. Um, and I think back in May, had we limited it to the 14, had MHCD said in May, when we heard this four months ago, actually I think four months ago today, we would have probably approved it then. Um, and I just have to state respectfully uh, that if that's the way it's going to be, have been for four months, it would have been nice to have received these on Friday or Saturday or Sunday and not an hour on a Monday before a hearing when you've got a hundred things happening. But um, I have read it and I'm comfortable with it. Okay, President Peskin, I'm going to close public comment because I felt to do that. So public comment is closed. Um, so I'm a little unclear as to uh, what you were asking for? Is it an amendment that I you want? Is that something that we can do right now? I would accept the amendments proposed by the Mayor's Office of Housing, and I would move to strike at, uh, let me, I don't have a hard copy of the, let me see if I can. It, uh, it would now be two. at page two. number to well. line 12, the words to enter, I'm sorry, enter into and. So it just reads the authority to amend. And then I was suggesting, and maybe we can disempower 
Deputy City Attorney Pearson to just have a sentence maybe at subsection 6 create a subsection D that just makes it abundantly clear that it does not otherwise materially change any terms. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I would like to confirm with the department and their drafting attorney that none of the amendments that are contemplated here could fall into that description. Um, if you want to come back to this item, I can do that now, or if that's an amendment you'd like to make at the full board, that's another option as well. We, if it's okay with my colleagues, we can circle back after the next item. Okay, so that means that we won't vote on it until the end of the meeting, and it'll be a long one. So I don't know if you want to hang out, but that's what we're going to do. Okay, um, with that, uh, let's move on to uh, item number three, please. Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to change the zoning controls in the Castro Street Neighborhood Commercial District to allow nighttime entertainment with a conditional use authorization on the second floor and affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA and making findings of consistency with the general plan, the priority policies of planning code section 101.1 and findings of public convenience, necessity and welfare under planning code section 302. Thank you, uh, Mr. Clerk. We are now joined by Supervisor Mandelman from District 8, who is the sponsor of this item. Thank you, Chair Milgar. I would like to make this meeting a little bit shorter for all of you. Uh, we learned uh, last week that there was an amendment that was recommended by the Planning Commission um, that had not been prepared, and although we have just gotten that amendment, um, I think uh, we would appreciate uh, um, two weeks, uh, two-week continuance on this item. Okay, so we will have a two. Oh, so we will continue the item till October 16th because next week is Indigenous Peoples Day, so we're not meeting, um, but we still have to take public comment because it's agendized. So, Mr. Clerk, um, let's go to public comment. Thank you. Do we have anyone here in the board chamber who has public comment on agenda item number three? If so, please come forward to the lectern. It appears that we have none. And I'm reaching out now to give an opportunity to our remotely connected callers to indicate that they want to speak on this item. And Madam Chair, I don't see that we have any speakers. Okay, great. So I'd like to make a motion that we continue this item until, oh, close public comment. Uh, we continue this item until Monday, October 16th. On the motion to continue to October 16th, offered by the chair, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Milgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there was no opposition. Okay, great. Uh, let's go to item number four. Just one moment. Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to encourage housing production by, first, exempting under certain conditions specified housing projects from the notice and review procedures of section 311 and the conditional use requirement of section 317 in areas outside of priority equity geographies, which are identified in the housing element as areas or neighborhoods with a high density of vulnerable populations. Second, removing the conditional use rec requirement for several types of housing projects, including housing developments on large lots, projects to build to the allowable height limit, projects that build additional units in lower density zoning districts, and senior housing projects that seek to obtain double density. Third, amending rear yard, front setback, lot frontage, minimum lot size, and residential open space requirements in specified districts. Fourth, allowing additional uses on the ground floor in residential buildings, homeless shelters, and group housing in residential districts, and administrative review of reasonable accommodations. 
Fifth, expanding the eligibility for the Housing Opportunities Means Equity San Francisco Home SF program and density exemptions in residential districts. Sixth, exempting certain affordable housing projects from certain development fees. Seventh, authorizing the planning director to approve state density bonus projects subject to delegation from the planning commission. And eighth, making conforming amendments to other sections of the planning code, amending the zoning map to create the priority equities geography special use district, affirming the planning department's CEQA determinations and making findings of public convenience and necessity and welfare under planning code section 302 and findings of consistency with the general plan. Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we have been joined by Supervisor Matt Dorsey uh, from District 6. Um, and before we start, I wanted to make a few announcements and uh, a couple comments. So uh, for starters, uh, at the last meeting, um, I failed to introduce amendments uh, because I was really, really sick and it was a long meeting. Uh, and uh, I want to apologize to Mr. Starr because we told him he wouldn't have to be here today to read uh, the amendments into the records again, uh, but I asked him to do it again uh, despite my earlier assurances because um, nothing, because I failed to move them, nothing got into the record. There was no place where the public could, you know, get on a database and look at all the amendments. And so uh, I'm afraid that I must ask you to read them again just uh, so that folks who may have tuned into this item for the first time can hear what we're talking about. So I apologize and I, you know, I'm human too and I was really sick and just tired. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to say that. The second thing I wanted to say is that there was um, a lot of chatter an op-ed and, you know, uh, press around uh, the um, continuance of this item to today. Um, what I wanted to say about that is that, you know, we are a very old city, old build environment. Our buildings have been around for more than hundreds of years in some cases. We are also a very diverse city with lots of neighborhoods that have very different needs, different constituencies, different histories, different cultural um, you know, expectations. And um, I think that something as groundbreaking as this is gonna take some time. So our, uh, you know, uh, our, our continuing of this very large and complicated piece of legislation um, should be viewed as our attempt to meet the needs of our constituents and the very different and diverse agendas that there are in our city in an attempt to uh, make sure that it passes. And so uh, I just wanted to put that out there uh, before folks start um, thinking that we're doing something nefarious. I think that we are doing our jobs. This is what we uh, have been elected to do and it's legislate and come up with uh, things that make sense for our city and negotiate with another because you know our districts all are very different. So, and the third thing um, that I would like to say about all this is that I will um, limit public comment at one minute. So if you have prepared comments, please adjust them. We uh, had robust public comment uh, last time. Uh, I believe that we will have robust public comment again after this week. Um, so uh, this is not your last opportunity. Um, and uh, last but not least, I wanna give a profound thank you to our city attorney's office. I think we have the 
best land use team of city deputy city attorneys um, in the nation. And I particularly want to thank uh, Barbara Gualco Nelson for being the rock star that she is uh, in supporting uh, my office with all the amendments, but in general, um, everything land use related. So with that, I will um, turn it over. You, you want to say a few words before the presentation, uh, Supervisor Mendelman? Okay, uh, let's have uh, Mr. Stark uh, come up and re read it again. Thank you. Sure. Um, so the amendments are to bring the Planning Commission's recommended modifications to remove the, um, to put back the CU for large lot developments and to expand the um, Priority Equity Geographies SUD to include the Cuyabenta Quattro Cultural District. Those are sort of the main points of it. Um, so I'll go over it. Um, on page one, lines nine through 10, we're adding the language in areas outside the Priority Equity Geographies SUD. Then on page four, um, we're adding uh, language that acknowledges the 46,598 affordable units um, are extremely low, very low, and low and moderate income household units that need to be added uh, per ARENA goals. On page five, uh, just some clerical stuff, um, line 15, adding new sections 121.1 and 121.3. Then on page 10, starting on line 22, we're putting in section 121.1 again. That's development of large lots in neighborhood commercial districts located within the priority equity geographies at special use district. And then the following is a chart uh, that basically mimics the old chart, but um, the neighbor commercial districts where the NC control or the large lot development controls no longer apply are not in that chart. And that continues on all the way to line 20 on page 12. Then again on page 13, line 16, we're putting back in the uh, development on large lots in the Chinatown mixed use districts. This is basically just a um, reintroducing it without any changes. And that continues to page 14, line 10. Starting again on page 14, line 19, uh, we're putting in back in um, RTO controls or, or controls for the RTO district uh, where it restricts lot mergers of 5,000 square feet or more, um, but only within the priority equity geographies SUD. And then again on line, page 14 line 23 we're just renumbering there that the renumbering continues all the way on page 15 to line 12. Uh, the next amendment is on page 17 line 9. Uh, this language adds the planning commission's recommended modifications to preserve the 15-foot setback in arch districts where there's a predominant pattern, so the language starting on line nine reads, except in cases where more than 75% of the properties on the subject block face have a setback of 15 feet or greater, and both parcels adjacent to the parcel property have a front setback of 15 feet or greater, in which case the maximum front back shall be 15 feet. And then I believe we get to skip ahead a few pages. Um, to page 30, 
uh, lines 15 and lines 23. It's just clerical adding the two back into the sentence. That was inadvertently dropped out. And skipping ahead to page 50, line two, another um, two that was dropped out, just putting two expedite the processing. Um, then on page 51, uh, line 12 to 13, uh, striking out a reference um, to a section that's being deleted. Line 15, also just reordering or putting in E instead of F since the numbering has changed. Then page 53, uh, line one regarding fees, just saying that we may charge time and material um, fees or cost incurred um, to recover our costs, and that is for the, um, uh, the reasonable accommodation um, changes to the code. And then on page 53, line five, we're changing section five, 352E2 to section 350J. Then on line page 57, um, this language, uh, page 57 lines 24 to 25, uh, we're uh, adding in bio language uh, to the criteria to be exempt from section 317. Um, that continues on to page 58. Um, and then on page 58, line four, we're spelling out more what it means to be a um, rent-controlled uh, building um, so that the, if to be exempt from 317, you can't remove more than two units that would be um, subject to rent control, and it just gets more specific on the, um, the code sections that it refers to. And then uh, line page 58, line 22, um, it, it's a... A certificate that the project sponsor has to um, sign under penalty or perjury that the tenants uh, to be demolished are not tenant occupied and don't have a history of no fault evictions or, or buyouts. Sorry. And that language continues on uh, to page 59 um, all the way to line 13. I'm sorry, on page. 59, line four, it just talks about the pre-application meeting that we're adding into it um, to be exempt from section 317, which is, I believe, identical to the language that Supervisor Melgar added into her um, ordinance. And then also on line 11, um, it refers to the uh, three units in front and one unit in back under Supervisor Melgar's uh, ordinance. Then on page 62, lines 21 to 24, uh, we are just putting back in the large lot development requirements, but only if you are within the priority equity geographies SUD. So there's a P and then a footnote two. The footnote two refers to that provision. Same type of amendment line, page 63, lines 15 through 19. Uh, that's for our NC2 zoning districts. So the large lot development only applies if you are within the priority equity geographies, the SUD. And then on lines 22 to 23, the um, footnote is added similar to NC1.
Then on page 66, uh, lines five through six, similar amendment to the previous ones, um, but this one is for uh, North Beach, which is both inside and outside the Priority Equigeography's SUD. So also adding a footnote saying that it only applies if you are within the PEG SUD. Um, a similar change to the Polk Street Neighbor Commercial District, page 66, lines 21 to 22. Again, crossing out the language there um, and then adding a footnote, similar to the other ones, which is on page 67, lines one and two. Then on lines 14 through 15 on page 52, a similar amendment um, saying that large lot developments are permitted, but with a footnote saying that you need a conditional use if you are without within the priority equities geography SUD, and that footnote starts on lines line 18 through about 19. Then on page 69, uh, lines two through three, they are um, just adding back the requirement in the Chinatown SUD for uh, lots over 5,000 square feet need conditional use authorization. Same thing for the Chinatown Visitor Retail District, page 69, lines 16 through 17. And then page 70, lines 10 through 11 uh, for the Chinatown Residential Neighbor Commercial District, same control change. Um, on page 71, lines 6 through 9 about, uh, it's just correcting the zoning districts that this uh, amendment applies to. So we're removing uh, sections 712, 720, um, 741, 744, 751, 752, through 757, adding an and, and then crossing out 759, 760, 761, 762, and 764. Then on page 71, uh, line 24 and 25, um, adding some more language. This, this all refers to the large lot development controls, so we're just kind of correcting those and adding the zoning sections to that. That correction continues on until line five on page 72. And then on page 72, lines 12 and 13 is an example of the change that would be made in those zoning districts. So it's basically a template for all those zoning districts listed. And then a sample footnote on page, on line 15 through 16. And then um, same page, line 19 through 25, are all the zoning districts where this change would happen, uh, and then just calling out the footnote number that those um, tables would have. Then on page 73, line two, uh, changing the section number from six to seven. On page 73, line 14, changing road to drive. Page 75, um, line 17 to 20 is uh, striking out Harrison Street to 23rd, 23rd to Highway 101, following 101 south to Cesar Chavez and Cesar Chavez Street. This is intended to include all of the Cayabante Cuatro into the Priority Equities Geographies SUD. Uh, then page 76, line nine, just a correction of Drum Street, adding an extra M. Same on line 10. On line 12, changing Pacific Street to Pacific Avenue twice. 
And then on page 13, I'm sorry, page 77, line 13, uh, adding Avenue after Columbus, line 18, changing Street to Avenue for Columbus, and then again on line 19, changing Street to Avenue for Columbus, line 20, changing the section number from 7 to 8, line 24, changing the section number from 8 to 9, and then finally, just some clerical uh, language that usually goes in most ordinances on uh, page 78, line through 5 to 8, um, adding a section 10 clarifications about existing law. And I believe those are all the amendments. Woo. Thank you very much, Welcome. Mr. Sarf, for doing that for us again. Um, so I just have a few comments, and then I'll turn it over to my colleague, uh, Supervisor Mandelman, who I know has some, and, and then the rest of the committee. Um, so we went to great lengths to pass the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District last month um, in a thoughtful manner that balanced the needs for tenant protections while removing the barriers that folks have for adding up to four units on lots. The legislation before us today, if passed the way it is, would override many of the hard-fought provisions and the incentives uh, that are within that SUD. So as such, I am proposing some amendments today that would restore the following existing planning code standards in RH districts within the SUD, the Family Housing Opportunity SUD. The first, uh, the, uh, to add back subdivisions and lot splits in section 121B, minimum lot width in section 121D, minimum lot area in section 121E, conditional use process to create smaller lot in non-RH1D districts in section 121F, front setback averaging in section 132A, alternative method of um, Front, back, front setback averaging in section 132B, maximum front setback requirements in section 132E, basic rear yard requirements in section 134C, except as otherwise provided by development incentives in the Family Housing Opportunity SUD, reduction of basic rear yard requirements in section uh, 134E, private open minimum space dimensions in section 135F, except as otherwise provided by development incentives in the Family Housing Opportunity SUD, dwelling unit exposure for open areas or inner courts in section 140A2, except as otherwise provided by development incentives in the Family Housing Opportunity SUD, large project review for projects exceeding 40 feet in section 153, uh, and residential and group housing density limits in section 209.1, except as otherwise provided by development incentives in the Family Housing Opportunity SUD. I have circulated all of these amendments. I have also proposing amendments that would restore the requirement of section 311 notice for projects in RH districts in the Family Housing Opportunity SUD, unless otherwise provided in other terms within the SUD and restoring the requirements of Section 317, conditional use authorization for projects in RH districts and the Family Housing SUD, unless otherwise provided by the terms of that SUD. I also propose conforming the condominium conversion process for citywide fourplex programs to the con 
condominium conversion within the process of the Family Housing Opportunity SUD. In conforming the definition of historic building for Section 317, streamlining eligibility to the definition of Family Housing Opportunity SUD. So I think that we are capable of meeting um, the mandates to cut constraints to housing while also preserving the limited rent control housing stock we have. And that is consistent with our housing element. Protecting tenants is, what is the first objective of our housing element. The main uh, issue uh, with my SUD and with this uh, legislation uh, with tenants groups was the removal of the CU and the um, discretionary review when it comes to demolishing rent controlled units. Because right now it's the only thing we have. And when I was on the planning commission, we constantly had this issue. If we had a better system for catching these, if we had a, a you know, a, a a database or you know a, a department that was in charge of this things might be more palatable to folks but uh, the system that we have right now doesn't catch these so I would like to point out the language of the housing elements that's being used um, the housing element which we all voted for unanimously makes some suggestions about streamlining planning in the planning process to make things go faster for example, establishing non-discretionary ministerial approval of housing applications that net two or more housing units within well-resourced neighborhoods. And that's what we did. The neighborhoods that uh, my family housing opportunity covered, um, the housing elements section 8.4.2 specifically states it would it could be ministerial for two or more units if it does not demolish existing rent-controlled units. And so if we could catch which units are rent-controlled um, from the get-go, you know, uh, without having to go through a big process, then that would be palatable. But right now we don't have that. So uh, perhaps, uh, you know, we, we could look into all of these. Um, I also want to note that my office spent a lot of time and effort negotiating with people, talking to people, listening to their concerns, um, and uh, I do think that it is possible to streamline and remove uh, uh, challenges uh, while also protecting tenants and rent-controlled units, which we're losing just by definition. Um, we could also even add units to our housing stock with uh, this effort. Um, we faced similar challenges when we were negotiating the SUD, and I do believe that we can uh, come up with stronger tenant protections. So um, uh, thank you, colleagues, uh, for listening. And I will turn it over now to uh, my colleague from District 8. Uh, thank you, Chair Melgar, and thank you for um, the work that you and your staff have done, um, both on your SUD and, and now on this legislation. And I um, think that you're making it a, a better piece of legislation. I want to be clear that I want to support this legislation. I um, believe that uh, the, we have committed to trying to uh, clean up um, our approval processes and um, that for those projects where we are saying, um, yes, this is the kind of development we want to have processes that actually allow those kinds of projects to move forward in a more um, expedited way. Um, but I also want to note, as you have noted, that this is a huge piece of legislation um, that is doing a, a trillion different things in a trillion different places and is 
in many ways unraveling decades of work that various boards of supervisors and planning commissions have done. And to be sure, much, uh, I'm sure lots of that work is due for a refresh or removal or spring cleaning or whatever you want to call it. But um, I want to make sure that we're saving as many of the babies in the bathwater as we can. Um, and I mentioned the last time I was here that I was going to be looking at a, a few of those items in particular. And we have um, been going back and forth with uh, the planning department and city attorney's office on some amendments. We still need to do some more work on those. I'll tell you where I am on my central neighborhoods SUD, which is my, uh, for anyone who cares, this is a very district eight uh, kind of a concern, but um, Supervisor Wiener uh, before me had uh, created a, a one SUD in my district uh, for a relatively small portion of it. I had created another SUD and it was uh, addressing um, a long-term problem in District 8 that many District 8 supervisors have worked on, which is the monster homification of our neighborhoods. Um, and we had come up with what I thought was uh, a pretty good um, uh, solution, which was to require, uh, well, to put a cap on the size of any particular unit, but it was a relatively high cap, 4,000 square feet per unit, not a cap on the size of buildings. If you want to build a number of 4,000 square foot uh, homes, and, you know, you might be able to do that, but to require a conditional use for anything above 3,000 square feet. Um, I wanted to try to preserve that CU in this legislation. We got the amendment to do that, but as we were doing it, I realized um, that uh, SB 423 will probably make that uh, CU go away at the end of next year anyway. Um, and so I do think that in salvaging uh, some kind of monster home controls for um, District 8, we may need to do uh, some additional work in this legislation. The trouble is, I am told, that doing that will require this legislation to be referred back to the Planning Commission. Now, I'm also told that that referral can all go pretty quickly, um, but just to let the folks at home who may be watching know, um, there, are, there may be some changes that get proposed uh, here at the Board of Supervisors um, in, in considering this legislation that are going to have to require a trip back to the Planning Commission that apparently can be done in perhaps less than a month. Um, but uh, this is, is uh, I think it's important. I think it's worth taking the time to get it right. Um, we will have that amendment uh, next time this comes up, which I, hope will be, which I think will be in two weeks. Um, secondly, um, I know, uh, Chair Melgar, that you have built in, s moved some of the uh, protections for historic buildings from uh, your SUD in, into the mayor's legislation. I'm grateful for those. We are looking at those. We may want to do a little bit more in that regard. And I mentioned last time that I feel that uh, we should be, um, there are certainly places in San Francisco where uh, state the state density bonus uh, may be useful in getting us significantly uh, more units. I'm not sure that is all of San Francisco, and so we have had conversations with uh, planning department and um, and city attorney's office about possibly focusing those state density, seeing, doing whatever we can to focus those state density bonus projects in particular areas. And that legislation is not quite ready, but I'm hoping it will be, or that amendment is not quite ready. I'm hoping it will be in two weeks. Um, additional things uh, that have been brought to my attention over the last few weeks, as I've heard from folks about this. And um, some of it is, is our issues that Supervisor Melgar, you addressed in, uh, in your SUD. But the concern about um, 
notification and about the law, the demolition of rent-controlled housing. Um, and I know that you have made some amendments to try and address those in RH districts, but I think we may want to make sure, I don't think we want, at least I'm not interested in requiring full 311 notification for everything, but I do think that uh, there may be some notification that would not be so burdensome, but it would at least give folks who are interested an email or some other way of knowing that there's a project happening in your neighborhood and you may want to know about it and you may want to let planning department staff know if you, th if you think they're missing something, if you think it actually is uh, rent-controlled housing or something else. Um, and then I know I've heard a great deal of concern from, uh, from tenant groups about um, the concern about the demolition of rent-controlled units. You have addressed that in your SUD, but we are looking if we can create some additional protections for those rent-controlled units uh, in this legislation. And the last CU that uh, I am concerned about, and maybe the solution is not another CU, but I think we need to address it, is this board has done work to discourage the, the loss, the hemorrhaging, really, of board and care uh, buildings. We have lost hundreds and hundreds. It is exacerbating the crisis on our streets. Um, and I think that this legislation may get rid of the CU um, for, and, and Rich Hillis is shaking his head, but I just want to make sure that we are, I don't see why that CU would survive, but you will explain to me why it would. Um, uh, at, at any rate, that's a, I, I want to make sure we're not um, uh, expediting the loss of our, uh, of, of um, board and cares. And I don't promise that I'm not going to find some other stuff in here that I'm concerned about. Again, I think I can get there. I think this will be a piece of legislation that when we have made uh, these, these changes, address the issues that come up, I will be supportive of. In general, I'm supportive of the concept, but I think there's a lot of details to work out. Thank you uh, very much, Supervisor Mandelman, Supervisor Dorsey. <clears throat> thank you, Chair Malgar, and thank you, colleagues, uh, for your work on this. Um, I know I have expressed before my view that we are in a new and in many ways unique time in housing policy in San Francisco. Uh, in which we need to focus more on complying uh, with state law and making good on commitments uh, we unanimously adopted into our housing element earlier this year. Um, the legislation has proposed endeavors to do that, in my view, and um, I will say that I worry a lot about amendments that would needlessly water it down or backtrack from our... Sure, sure. I, there, how's that? The legislation has proposed endeavors to do that, in my view, uh, and I will say that I worry about amendments that would needlessly water it down or backtrack from our housing element commitments. Now, I'm not saying that the amendments proposed today do that necessarily, but I just mostly wanted to just express my concerns generally. Um, I think City Hall no longer has the luxury of debating competing wish lists on housing projects as it has in years past. Uh, those days are over. State laws have changed. Uh, the state legislature and governor have made abundantly clear that California is solving its affordable housing crisis with or without local governments. We have an HCD that would, could scarcely be more clear about how closely it is watching San Francisco. We have a state attorney general in Rob Bonta who is fully committed to being a tough top cop on housing. What we don't have is a reason to believe we can backtrack from our promises and get away with it. So I represent a district that will be hurt the most if we lose state funding for transit infrastructure and housing. And if we lose local control altogether, uh, everyone will be hurt. These are the stakes we face today on housing. 
They are different, they are more serious, they are more consequential than what we have faced in years past, in my view. Um, so I'm hoping we can pass the legislation in a way, I understand that it will likely have amendments, but in a way that uh, does not substantially backtrack from our housing element promises. Um, I do have a few questions I'd like to ask planning, um, if I might. Uh, we've, I know we've heard a lot of uh, community members and organizations who have concerns about um, rent control, which I strongly support and I would like to see expanded. I'm a renter myself. So I wanted to ask, um, can you explain how the legislation affects rent control or rent stabilization in San Francisco as written and then as amended? Sure, it, it doesn't impact rent control in San Francisco um, broadly. It does allow for the demolition of two rent-controlled units so long they have not been occupied within the last five years. And that's the only provision it pro allows for any loss of rent-controlled units. Under SB 330, though, those two rent-controlled units have to be built back and put under rent control again. Um, we don't have to worry about tenant displacement in that because no tenant can be in that unit for the last five years. Okay. It, will the legislation... Um, in your view, impact the rent-controlled or rent-stabilized housing stock? No, not in my opinion. I don't think it will um, because any rent control unit that is lost through demolition has to be put back. Okay, great. Okay, I think that's good. I, I appreciate the response and I also appreciate the feedback we have gotten from organizations and renters and others. Um, who have voiced concerns about demolition um, and rent control and tenant protections. Again, as a tenant myself, uh, you know, I strongly support rent control. Um, I've worked with President Peskin on um, expanding rent control as an affordability option in our Home SF program, and I hope that we can find other ways to, to do that under the constraints of um, Costa Hawkins, because I think rent stabilization contributes to stable communities. Um, so with that, I think uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to weigh in, and thank, thanks again for uh, allowing me to take part. Thank you. President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Mulgar, and thank you uh, to Supervisor Mandelman for his comments, um, particularly as it relates to some of the unintended, and I can think of other uh, conditional uses that the board has adopted over time that as matters of public policy are important and we, I think, need to figure out how to maintain. Uh, for instance, um, as we found out from the Public Utilities Commission, uh, laundromats, um, many of them, if not most of them, underneath residential buildings, uh, attrited about a third of them, primarily on the east side of the city, primarily uh, in dense neighborhoods, uh, many of them lower income neighborhoods, uh, ranging from the Tenderloin to Chinatown and the Mission. And so we created uh, a temporary measure where you would need a conditional use to go out of the laundromat business. So I, there's a number of things, and I think Supervisor Mandelman put his finger on that, and, and I think we do have to be uh, very intentional about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I, I like Supervisor Mandelman's spring cleaning analogy, um, which is, yeah, the planning code is decades of layered on initiatives, some of them initiated by the planning department through planning processes, 
you know, I was around for the eastern neighborhoods rezoning and what have you. That was primarily a planning department initiated rezoning, but many of them initiated by, you know, decades of supervisors. And I think it does make sense to go through and figure out whether or not that, you know, can of peas is outdated and needs to be thrown out. But I think you got to look at each and every can and determine whether it still has a shelf life and it's still edible and still has some utility. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a high level admonition when you come along with, uh, you know, just throwing away whole sections of code that you've got to think about those things. Um, the other thing I would say is this, which is, um, as I was reviewing this over the weekend, and this is just by way of being candid, uh, I think that if anybody else, I mean, we, we are all in receipt of many letters from the REP and from, you know, the Anti-Displacement Coalition and uh, a host of uh, organizations that are held in high esteem, Chinatown Community Development Center and others. A and I can say this after 20 years, if any of my colleagues brought a piece of legislation that had that kind of opposition, I think the committee would say to them, hey, you got work to do with the community. Um, we're not going to be sitting here doing your work. Go out and figure those things out with the community and get it into a place and amend it to, you know, where uh, we can have a confined, reasonable discussion. But with all due respect to the mayor, it's like, you're making this committee do the work that you haven't done with the community, and I would respectfully strongly suggest, and I appreciate the fact that at this meeting, as compared to the last meeting, there's a representative of the mayor's office here, that you directly engage those organizations and interests around the issues that they are raising. I had a, and I enjoyed it, I don't know if uh, Director Hillis enjoyed it, but we had a nice, or I enjoyed it anyway, meeting uh, last Friday. Um, and one of the things that I found myself saying in a high-level analysis of the legislation is that this does not have sticks or carrots to actually produce the kind of housing that we want to produce and that we are obligated to produce. So there aren't you know, think, I think I called it small ball uh, in our meeting the other day, which is we're not saying, hey, uh, if you want to demolish things and you want to get rid of constraints around demolition, this is the kind of density that we want. I, I've said for 23 years since I was first elected, and I come from the densest district of the 11 supervisorial districts, I've never been scared of density. I've had issues around height and urban form and what have you, but I've never been scared of density. Uh, and so there's, there's nothing, and this goes back to Supervisor Mandelman's comments, which is um, there's nothing in here that prevents monster homes. Uh, you can demolish one rent-controlled unit and build a monster home and add a unit, and th that's small ball. Is that going to get you... 82,000 new units? Is it going to get you 46,000 affordable units? I don't think so. I think that this thing can be structured in a way that reduces constraints if it produces what we are trying to produce. And I, I mean, I'm not interested in having the kind of row that 
we had when I got here 23 years ago when the boogeyman was live-work housing, which was not dense, uh, it was not affordable, and it was driving neighborhoods absolutely crazy for all the right reasons. And by the way, that was a law that was passed with all of the best intentions, um, and it was exploited in a way that was actually not good for uh, housing production in San Francisco and was not efficient. Uh, it was lucrative for some developers, uh, but it did, not, it did not produce the kind of houses that uh, we needed or were seeking. So I, I think it's, it's through that lens that um, I would like to continue to have this conversation, which I, as I've evidenced in my meetings with Mr. Hillis and others, am more than happy to continue to have. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Um, and I uh, just, I had a couple questions. One, I just, I wanted to talk about the demolition issue and the letter that we received um, from the Anti-Displacement Coalition, as well as my read of this, um, particularly with the concern around use of the Ellis Act, potentially. Um, and I just, I, I wanted to start and make sure that we are all on the same page, that the scenario described is a scenario that we, as a policy, don't want to allow uh, before we get into what the law actually does. Uh, but I just hope we are all on the same page. That, and that the scenario they describe in the first part of the ADC letter that I think is on point, and I say this is someone who battled Ellis Act evictions for a long time before becoming supervisor. Um, the scenario is where a speculator purchases property let's say a two unit rent control building, invokes the Ellis Act to evict everyone from that property or threatens the Ellis Act and secures uh, informal and in many cases unrecorded um, buyout agreements upon threat of the Ellis Act, empties the building out and then seeks to use this law to demolish and rebuild without any neighborhood notification or conditional use that would ordinarily be required and as Chair Melgar has pointed out, um, would ordinarily come out in the, through that notification would come out uh, at a planning commission hearing. So without, for a minute, without focusing on potential preemption issues and, and uh, the range of, are, are we all in agreement that to the greatest extent possible, we do not, we want as a matter of policy to not allow that scenario to occur? I, I'd be curious to hear from both from the mayor's office and from planning, just make sure we're, we're on the same page on the goal here on that issue. Sure, and uh, Tom Paulino, Mayor's uh, liaison to the board. Um, uh, with respect, uh, Supervisor, I, I'm not the most well-versed on this subject matter. I may be the Mayor's representative here today, but I'm more than happy to take your question back to our staff to get you a definitive answer as quickly as I can. I think can. Mr. Hillis can answer this question. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'd say yes, you are correct. That's We would like to avoid that. It's the policy and the housing element. So I think yes. Okay. So I... Then we get to the question of does the ordinance as 
currently written allow the scenario that right. I just described? Right. And, and I think it does, but I, I want to I, I think it a perspective. In, in, I think there's one change you could make so that it doesn't do that, which, which is uh, what Chair Melgar said is align it with her SUD, is just not allow for the demolition of two units. Limit that to one unit. You, you'd get out of that scenario. I mean, I, I, I would just caution on your scenario, you can't demo a historic building. If it's just threat of Ellis and it's a buyout, it's five years since that buyout in order to convert it. Um, you'd have to replace those units at rent control or if there were, were lower income tenants of that, a deed restricted affordable. So there's a lot more into it. I think what we were trying to get at in this was kind of the two units, single family with an unlawful dwelling in it. But I think it's, we're amenable to the change if you want to align this with, with Chair Melgar's SUD, which basically says, you know, it's not two units, lower that to, to one. Thank you. Yeah, I think that I, that might make sense here um, because I, I do think it's a real risk. And, and I appreciate your pointing out the buyout restriction that is in there. But I think also we all know that for the buyouts that get recorded, there's plenty that don't. And that sure. it's very hard to enforce those uh, yeah. those restrictions. Thank you. Um, on. And, and I would, uh, through the chair to, to Mr. Polino, I, I think it would be great to, you know, if, if just to make sure that the, after you've had a chance to review it, that the mayor's office concurs with that, um, that goal of, of uh, well, I guess the question would be whether, the, I don't know whether the mayor's office is supportive of lowering that threshold on the rent-controlled units to, to one unit or not, um, uh, which would make my question moot uh, on the two-unit rent-controlled demolitions. And, and just to be clear, we're yeah. just talking about whether you need a CU under 317, right. right? So you would still need a three, you could still demo a two-unit building. You would need a CU under 317, which I can happily report we don't see many of. From mm -hmm. my eight years on the Planning Commission to my three years as director, we don't see a lot of those because there is this process right, right. to go through that process. So, yeah, I think we Thank would concur with that. Thank change. you for that clarification. Yeah. And yes, we, we don't see a lot of those I would submit in part because it has been the policy of mayors and the Board of Supervisors and the Planning Commission, regardless of who appoints them and so forth, um, that we have a very strict uh, policy against demolishing rent-controlled units, right? I think the concern here from the Anti-Displacement Coalition that I share is whether we're cha we're changing that uh, and incentivizing what has historically not been a huge issue. We don't want it to become one. Um, the the other question I had, and this um, I is absolutely fine if there's not an answer to this today. It's just as I was reviewing uh, Chair Melgo, your amendments, I'm trying to figure out in my district where that leaves us because we, my district includes big part of it, probably about a third of it that is within the family housing opportunity special use district. And then a good two thirds of it, and I'm, that's rough, but um, that is not in my, cons and so I, well, what I would hope, and if it sounds like this isn't going to be the last time we're talking about this, so maybe between now and the next hearing, would love to get more clarity from planning around what that means in terms of um, 
the different, uh, particularly the different rights of neighbors around demolitions and, and uh, receiving 311 notices and so forth. Like it, it's something, um, you know, my first impression, I don't know if this is the right read, but is that, you know, it doesn't seem right if we're basically going to say, hey, residents of the Fillmore do not have the right to weigh in on certain, in, in certain ways where residents of the Richmond, the Sunset, the Hate, and others who are within the Family Housing Opportunity SUD may, um, but just kind of playing out what the difference would be were these amendments uh, to be adopted in terms of what could be developed and what neighborhood uh, notification and CU would be required. So I don't know if you can address that on the fly or if that's something uh, after the I can end. address it partly. We did put a map together showing Supervisor Melgar's right. and then the Priority Equity Geography of the SUD. Um, Unfortunately, I, I don't have it, but we'll send it to your office. Um, and if it's within the priority equities geographies, yes, you do, then the CU is maintained for demolition. Uh, 311 is maintained. All the same controls are maintained, including the t um, large lot development. <clears throat> and I believe that Supervisor Melgar's SUD, there isn't any overlap, but I'm like 99.9% .9 sure about that. So um, we'll send you the map, and then we can follow up with you. Great. Yes, it, that, that would be helpful because it's basically two different maps, right? But they, they're, they, and then they how they overlap, and I just want to make sure because we're on kind of the border. <laughs> we have the line between those right. uh, in, my, in, in my district, so that would be they're, helpful. They're pretty close, though. But I'll, I'll okay. give them that. Thanks. Great. Um, and, and last point, I just want to make. I mean, we've received the the letter from HCD. I I, I am I'm. I'm concerned with our state housing department pushing for adoption of something that potentially allows for demolition and loss of rent controlled units without controls like I, I, I do want to say that to the extent that HCD is going to weigh in on local legislation that's primarily geared toward incentivizing or streamlining uh, market rate development I think they have an obligation as part of their and our obligation to affirmatively further fair housing uh, and to comply with the housing element to actually be engaging on some of these details, not just cheerleading uh, the, the streamlining provisions, but looking at, it shouldn't be the anti-displacement coalition that has to flag for supervisors the danger of real estate speculators using the Ellis Act, a state law, uh, to demolish rent-controlled units um, and actually undermine the housing element goals. Um, so I, I don't know if, you know, if HCD is going to weigh in, you know, maybe it makes sense for them to more directly, you know, either communicate more comprehensively with us uh, about some of these risks. Um, and as we're moving forward, um, they're always welcome also to, to come and be, be uh, present for some of these, the, uh, these discussions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Preston. So I'm just going to make a couple comments, and then we can go to public comment. Um, first, just to, to, to my colleagues, you know, I think that um, I have prepared the amendments that I prepared and continue to work with uh, groups uh, because I think we can do this better. Um, I was a proponent of the housing element and made sure that it got through this committee and through the board with a unanimous vote. 
Um, none of that is watering down. I think it is the process of negotiating legislation between all of us and this seven by seven square miles that we all share, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I will again read uh, from the housing element that we passed and was approved by HCD, which says um, in section 8.4.2, um, that um, you know, process could be ministerial for two or more units if it does not demolish existing rent-controlled units. So I think everything we have talked about here today is consistent with the housing element which we passed and also got approved by HCD. And I know there are folks who uh, want to move it further, want to move us further, and God bless them. You know, advocates will do what advocates will do. Um, but I think that it is not helpful to be, you know, sort of threatening, you know, if we don't move fast enough or if we don't do our due diligence because, as I said, we all have to share these seven by seven square miles. So uh, with that, I will also say to my colleagues, you know, um, I'm a mom of three and sometimes at home I get resentful because I am the one who has to like do the dishes and do the laundry and I don't get the thanks you know but um, in this case um, I think that I did a lot of the work that's necessary for this ordinance in my SUD we solved for a lot of these problems we negotiated with the groups um, and then I just did the amendments to protect my SUD you are welcome to take those ideas in that language. When you compare your maps, uh, you know, uh, with your own districts, uh, but I'm not gonna do it for you. So uh, with that, uh, Supervisor Mandelman. Um, thank you, uh, Chair Melgar. I guess just the um, last little thing that occurs to me to say, uh, partly in response to well, I guess in response to planning staff's response to uh, Supervisor Dorsey's question about whether folks with rent control should have any concern about this legislation. And um, there's a guiding premise in this legislation and in a lot of our efforts that uh, we have allowed a level of process to develop over time that is impeding our ability to deliver important public policy goals like more housing. And I think that's true. But I got to spend a couple years on our Board of Appeals, thanks to our board president, and I've served five years on this body, and I've seen some of the work that happens at the Planning Commission. And to be sure, there are many hearings um, of various levels of merit in the claims that are being brought, but those hearings turned up mergers that were illegal, turned up unlawful evictions that had not otherwise been caught, turned up the deprivation of services for tenants that were guaranteed to them under law, and the only thing that caught them and potentially created a consequence for the bad actors who were going to do something with those properties after having broken the law in one of a number of ways was a hearing where interested parties in the tenant community or neighbors or whoever got to bring these issues up. So we're getting rid of those hearings. We've lost the hearing. I mean, Assemblymember Haney has solved our Board of Appeals problem for us, um, and hearings on housing are not gonna go to the Board of Appeals as far as I understand. So that's one hearing down, and that's a level of process. The bad action that might have been caught at the Board of Appeals, it will not be. There is a savings in terms of process 
So that's, you know, achieving some of our goals and there's a risk. And we are getting rid of a bunch of hearings and are gonna get rid of a bunch of hearings through this legislation. But the concerns about, well, how do we catch the bad action and how do we make sure that there is a consequence and these projects don't go forward and how do we make sure there's not a tsunami of speculative uh, evictions that have been held in check all these decades by this process, that's the concern that people are raising and it's a valid concern, <laughs> squeal. Um, so I think we can get there. I think we can come up with something that works, but I think we have to address that concern because even with all that process, we've been bleeding rent-controlled units for a long, long time, and many in my district, and, um, and I think there's a you know, certainly a fear of losing more. So that's the, at least part of what I'm, I'm hoping we can address as we refine this. President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar. I was actually going to say something not dissimilar from what Supervisor Mandelman said. I mean, a lot of this comes from the reality that sometimes process is abused. I mean, there are people who abuse the courts. They're called vexatious litigants. And there are people who have, for their own self-interest, abused the planning process. There's no question about it. Um, it is also an avenue to seek redress when the city is making a mistake. And we do make mistakes. I mean, these things sometimes land in our laps as supervisors, and we look at it and we say, hey, you know, Mr. Zoning Administrator or Director Hillis or head of DBI, it sure looks like you guys missed something. You made a mistake. And when the process is working well, they say, thank you, supervisor, we did, and we'll fix it. Uh, when the process is not working well, and somebody isn't listening, or somebody is in denial, or people are too busy, uh, or occasionally are unscrupulous or bad actors, we've seen that happen. Yeah, there have been you know, corrupt city employees, guess what? Um, then they need a place to bring this to some kind of impartial you know, quasi-judicial body, which is in some cases what the Planning Commission serves as, and in some cases what the Board of Appeals serves as. So, I mean, in all of this, I have to look at Rich Hillis and say, are you going to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner, and are you going to do it right, and are you going to, I mean, and you're going to be overwhelmed. Like, the, all of these things, and by the way, there's also unscrupulous developers, hello. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you the number of, I'm just the kind of stuff that Supervisor Mandelman's talking about. Yeah, it happens. There are people who make money by evicting people, or I had a case around the corner from my house where a guy brought a project to the, board, to the planning department, and the neighborhood pointed out that he said he was doing something to a three-unit building, and it was a five-unit building. There were two other units in the building. I mean, he knew that. Uh, but, and, and the planning department was like, no, it couldn't be that way. It says here on the R3 report, and eventually a planner came down and said, oh, yeah, this guy is basically kicking out two families from a five-unit building. I mean, we've, uh, we've, I can't tell you, uh, there was a case on Varenis that my neighborhood, uh, the Chinatown Community Development Center, appealed uh, as a DR case 
where the developer said that uh, there had been no eviction and until the uh, folks showed up with the pictures of the monolingual Cantonese family with their, you know, valises on the sidewalk, did the commission believe it? Um, because, you know, there was, um, and so if we were serious about that and built those protections in at the front end, I don't think you'd be seeing any opposition, but we also know that there's been a history where the city talks out of both sides of its mouth. And again, I'll go back to what Supervisor Mandelman said. I mean, we were screaming at this Board of Supervisors, I think it was my then colleague, Jake McGoldrick, about mergers, and we were losing housing. And by the way, uh, I think the mayor at that time, and I think the planning regimen at that time was none too happy when Supervisor McGoldrick in an earlier iteration of this board said, you needed a conditional use in order to merge units. Before that, it was like the planning department had the discretion, and let's be real, if you were hooked up and you were like in the whatever and you had the right lobbyist and, you know, Bob McCarthy, God rest his soul, called, uh, you know, director, I'll call him out, Green would be like, yeah, we can, we can let you merge your units. And it was all staff-initiated DR at the time. And so then we went conditional use. Well, guess what? The Board of Supervisors was actually stopping monster homes, preserving the most affordable housing that there is, which is the housing that we have. Uh, the Yimbys weren't, you know, didn't exist at that time, and they weren't saying, yay, go Board of Supervisors, you're trying to maintain housing. Um, but that's what we did. And so I want to make sure that we don't wake up and, you know, in five or ten years and go, wow, uh, we made a bunch of monster homes that sold for $1,200 a square foot, and we ended up inadvertently getting rid of some of the best of the rest. That, that I think, and that's what I want to communicate to the mayor's office, which is let's have some, and the REP letter said that, let's have some real incentives here for more density at more affordable rates uh, without the loss of the most affordable housing that we have, which is our existing rent-controlled housing stock. Thank you. I'll just say one last thing uh, based on your comments, uh, President Peskin, um, which is like sort of the other side of that coin, that same coin, is I wonder, um, you know, these uh, smaller rent-controlled units that would be demolished to make way for more density, um, like how much of that is that really? So if we protected those units, like, you know, in the cost-benefit analysis, you know, what, like, what's the number of those 82,000 units that we would be in the way of? And I think probably not that much, because most of this is, is geared towards, you know, larger development, development on the corridors, development in, you know, large lots. That's where the big money is going to, or the big numbers are going to come from uh, in terms of the overall housing element. And so um, I do wonder, we're, we're arguing and having these big battles over a handful of units that we want to preserve. Everybody agrees. It's in our housing element as an objective. Um, and it's really small potatoes in terms of, you know, the rest of what's in this legislation, which is, you know, the big number. So I just wanted to, you know, m make that comment. Did you want to say something further, uh, President Peskin? Yeah, I, I asked actually the same question last Friday when I was speaking to Director Hillis, and, th and that's kind of why I called it small ball. I mean, look, the reason this Board of Supervisors voted 10 to 1 to change the inclusionary rates 
was because of evidence that we had that this was going to unleash some projects that were like 500 units in size. I mean, that is where the action is at. So like, I mean, is this, the, you're asking exactly the right question in my mind, which is, is this gonna get us from, you know, 79,000 to 82,000? I mean, is that where the action's at and at what price? Okay, <laughs> uh, so uh, I think we now go to public comment, Mr. Clerk, and um, any action uh, or motions will come after. Okay, thank you. Very good, thank you, Madam Chair. We will now take public comment on agenda item number four. If you have public comment and you're here in the chamber with us, please line up along your right-hand side, the west wall of this room, and come forward to the lectern. Just to mention again that the chair has indicated that we're limiting public comment on this agenda item to one minute per speaker. And if you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on this item, please dial star three and that will add you to the queue to speak. First speaker, please begin. Good afternoon, Supervisors Eric Brooks, Our City SF, and San Francisco CEQA Defenders. So real quickly, just on one key point, we've changed our uh, alert that we've been sending out to change some of the numbers. So you're gonna start seeing comments from the public that say, instead of 150,000 to 190,000 of the affordable housing in this legislation is most of the, that affordable housing, now we've just simplified it because the area meeting, the family median income did go up to 175 recently. So now we're just simplifying this to say in the entire legislation, probably somewhere between 70% and 88% of the housing is gonna be $230,000 or more. That's above the, the, uh, the um, marginal income, which means about 88% of this housing is gonna be uh, the stuff we've already got 50% over supply, 230,000. concluded. Thank you, Eric Brooks, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? And uh, SFGovTV, I believe that this speaker has a visual on the projector coming up. I'm gonna start your time. If you want to zoom out, there's a zoom on top of the the hood at the very top. I think it's labeled zoom. Here, I'll be there in a moment. Yeah, just back that out and move your page up a little bit. There you go. I'll start your time. Once again. It's all right, please begin. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Melgar, President Peskin, and fellow supervisors, Ozzy Realm with San Francisco Land Use Coalition. So I'm here today to expose the fallacy of the narrative that it's the community engagement and community process that is actually blocking the production of housing. And to do that, I'm actually uh, brought the planning department's actual data. So as you can see on the overhead, this is what we asked the planning department to produce in the past 10 years, all the permits, along with their CU and DRs. And lo and behold, as you can see, the CUs and DRs only make up 15 to 20% of all permits. Um, now, this is a far different narrative 
than what we are hearing. And in fact, in the three-year period, starting from 2018 to 2020, well, over 82% of projects move through with no CU or DR. And when you exclude those CUs for- uh, Madam Chair, if I could just ask, because I saw it online, but I would like to see it on the screen, if Ms. Rong could just show us the remaining slides. Okay, we, we had limited to uh, one minute for public comment. Perhaps after public comment, if you want to ask uh, a, a specific question from an advocate, we can do that. Okay. Okay, thank you. And uh, while we're preparing for the next speaker to come forward, I'll also mention that I have received that s set of slides and they are added to the file and available for folks to review online as well. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Sorry. Thank you. I have a question. This is. We after. have to move on to the next speaker. Okay. Please begin. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Hamin Liu of the Upper Chinatown Neighborhood Association. We ask that you reject the proposed ordinance amending the planning codes for the following reasons. First, as you can see from the Upper Chinatown map, 80% of our neighborhood has alleyways. This significantly reduces the mid-block open space, light, and air. Second, it is self-evident that displacement and expansion is breaking apart the family system. Our families need open space to build harmonious relationships. They need their courtyard space, just like the residents of the SROs need the Portsmouth Square as their courtyard. Therefore, to strengthen the family system, we respectfully ask for a cultural analysis of land use of Upper Chinatown. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Liu, for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? And as with the previous speaker, we do also already have digital copies of those presentation slides in the file. Hi, my name is Gary Gregerson. I'm a commercial tenant in the Redstone Building in the Mission, and we're a member of United to Save the Mission. I'm also a residential tenant in District 6 in the Tenderloin, and I'm a member of SEIU Local 1021. And um, uh, coming in this meeting, I was uh, going to say the legislation should be rejected. Um, hopefully, you know the issues of the demolitions and the uh, lack of consequences for bad actors. Um, hopefully, that'll be resolved. Um, seems like there are a lot of moving parts, um, but I would like to see those concerns addressed. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments, Mr. Gregerson. Can we have the next speaker, please? Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar and Supervisors. I'm Molly Goldberg. I'm the director of the San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition. Thank you for your very thorough discussion of the concerns we raised in our letter today. Um, I won't take up your time repeating them, um, but I will. I do want to add a couple of clarifications. I, you know, we, we do respectfully disagree with Director Hillis that this should not be a concern for rent control tenants. We are very concerned about the displacement impacts of this legislation um, and the demolishing of uh, two units uh, will it will disproportionately impact 
low-income tenants, immigrant tenants who make up a lot of the uh, a lot of the tenants who live in the in-laws and ADUs that would be impacted by this legislation. So we're concerned about that. I also just want to share that our analysis of data from tenant rights clinics around the city is that the reported buyouts are less than half of what we think are the actual buyouts on record. And so we're relying on self-reported buyouts from uh, developers and from the records of the rent board is not an effective way time to. Is concluded. Thank you, Thank you, for your you time. Molly Goldberg. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Don Misumi, and I'm a resident of the Richmond District and a member of Richmond District Rising. RDR is also part of the REP Coalition, and I'm here to raise my strong opposition to this legislation. The last eight years have seen our city fall 8,000 units short of affordable housing goals. And this will, bill will put us on the same trajectory. There is no provision for prioritizing affordable housing goals. And the only guarantee in this bill is that we will see more gentrification and more homelessness. While I appreciate the efforts to improve the bill, you cannot make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Kill this bill and start over with a plan that actually serves people's needs over developers. And for God's sake, do not start with a plan that begins at the mayor's office. Thank you, Don Masumi, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Regina Eastlas. I'm a renter. And the housing element legislation must commit the city to strategies for buying land and existing apartment buildings to provide new affordable housing, not one-for-one, demo-one, rebuild-one, and stabilize tenants with long-term affordability. This is supported by the Housing Element Action 1.2.2. We must put affordable housing first. Thank you, Regina Eastlas, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Serena Calhoun. I'm a local architect. I've been practicing for 22 years in the city. Today, I'm here to voice my strong support for this ordinance, both for the creation of housing it will support, but also as a common sense change to an utterly Byzantine permitting process in which it takes two to five years to build code-complying housing and additions to single-family homes. The 311 notification delays projects by years. I've had so many clients have to move out of the city because they can't do a much-needed addition for their family. I'm also working on three new ground-up buildings with a total of 15 housing units. Five of those units are ADUs, which are shown to be below market rate units in general. This is an opportunity for the city to build those units in much less than two to five years. And I sincerely hope that you'll keep the 311 protections and uh, elimination of those requirements in the legislation. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. Abhi Gandhi with the Chinatown Community Development Center. Um, we are deeply concerned with this legislation uh, as it not only would impact tenants, but also existing neighborhood service, uh, serving businesses and vulnerable neighborhoods. The only solution that this legislation provides is a PEG SUD uh, to address historic um, inequities. However, it does not provide anything to affirmatively further fair housing or a racial justice agenda. It 
in fact takes away um, the rights of SUD residents in many cases um, to public hearings. We request that you guys meticulously work on this the way, same way you worked on um, Chair Melgar's legislation, and please don't pass it without significantly amending or thorough analysis, especially on vulnerable communities. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Kyle DeWolf. I can we get you to myself. speak right into that microphone so we can hear you, please? Uh, is this any better? It's much better. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to say that uh, to uh, Supervisor Melgar's concern that we're really trying to build larger organizational units. That's great, but the loopholes, as Supervisor Peskin pointed out, are that other people who aren't doing that will take advantage of the loopholes. That's just the way the city is. We come up with ideas and people find ways around them. Having been a city employee, it's the only way to, to make things work. Um, above and beyond that, there are lots of units. Oh my God. There are lots of units in process. And I just want to go on record. Yeah, I just want to go on record saying you're cutting the time in half with no advance notice makes this very tough. Um, you know, the uh, vacancy tax that recently got passed means units will turn over faster, more units will be back on the market. Um, there is other legislation pending to turn office space into residential units. And what we really need here are um, affordable housing, well below the def current definition of affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, <clears throat> good afternoon, committee. Thank you for this opportunity to to speak. My name is Kathy Lipscomb and I'm a member of Senior and Disability Action and REP. REP strongly urges the Land Use Committee to make significant amendments to this streamlining legislation to put affordable housing first, protect tenants against displacement, and value the voices of historically marginalized communities. If these amendments are not possible, REP requests that this committee reject this and take up new legislation that meets these objectives. We uh, are mostly concerned that we're not gonna reach the goals of for low and very low and moderate income people. We suggest that there be legislation to add a budget supplemental dedicated revenue source to commit significant new funding for housing. How else is it gonna happen? How long are people gonna have to stay in the streets before this happens? Thank you very much. Thank you, Kathy Lipscomb, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Yes, my name is Yolanda Katsalko, and I first mentioned this at the meetings at, on the fourth floor. I added it up at one of those meetings. Part-time, 20 hours a week is 18000 a year for a person that works half a shift. For a person that works full time, it's 40, 36 to 40,000 a year. How, do, how are they going to be able to afford the so called affordable housing? Makes sense. You're going to see the Latinos that are not at these streets, which I'm glad got passed, that are going to be people walking around instead of cars because they're working and they're not going to be here. They're going to move to Oakland like they're doing, like the people in the RV. Who knows where they're going to end up? So, my thing is, Provide housing. There's enough housing here. There's over 60,000 apartments. There's no reason for Newsom to have ruled on what he ruled on because he wants the real estate to win. But the thing is, there's 300 millionaires in San Francisco and 75 billionaires. Quit being their representatives. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? 
Good afternoon, Supervisors. Jake Price with the Housing Action Coalition. I want to first start by thanking the members of this committee as well as uh, Supervisor Mandelman and Dorsey for a thoughtful conversation today. I really appreciated a lot of the insights. Um, I want to put this into context with the recent news of SB 423. Um, you know, discretionary review is basically out the window in San Francisco starting next year. So this legislation you know, for the, at least the next eight years isn't really impacting that. What it is impacting is our affordable housing and transit funding. If we fall out of compliance with our housing element, we lose hundreds of millions of dollars in state grants for our shared priorities. Um, so I welcome continued conversations and thoughtful amendments, um, but just want to put that into context as we acknowledge the realities of our situation. Thank you. Thank you, Jake Price, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Lev Weisbach, local architect. Uh, for those of us who've been practicing, practicing architecture in San Francisco, myself for the past 34 years, we have seen countless numbers of changes over time that have made it so much harder to get a permit to do almost any type of work in the city. And it is over that same time span that affordability has plummeted. We cannot keep doing things the same way and expect the outcome to be different. I believe that's the definition of crazy. Now, time is more of the essence than ever before, as if we don't enact changes now and get our house in order, the state will come in and penalize us by withholding funds for important infrastructure necessities and then take action to force the changes anyways. We think it is much better to get ahead of that than to wait for it to happen. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone further here in the chamber who has comments on agenda item number four? Seeing none, we will turn our attention to those who have connected to our meeting remotely. I understand at this time there are 29 speakers who wish to address agenda item number four. Could we be connected to the first speaker, please? Hi, George Wooding. The mayor's staff is not present on housing ordinance 230446 on September 17th. The planning department was ill-prepared to answer many questions from the board, two out of three of the uh, LUTC, LUTC committee members did not accept briefings with the mayor's office. Um, this is San Francisco's most important housing legislation in eight years. Vote no on this poorly conceived housing ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, George Wooding, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, uh, members of the Land Use Committee. My name is Christopher Roach. I'm speaking on uh, behalf of AI San Francisco's Public Policy and Advocacy Committee in support of this critical legislation. I spoke in support of this in the last hearing, so I won't repeat those points, but just wanted to add a few updates and address some of the supervisors' comments today. Um, in regard to SB 423, while I agree it may supersede some of the provisions of this legislation and uh, discretionary uh, review. It's still important for the city to implement these policies and improve its processes, which have been broken for decades, to make the process for approving and building housing more rational, cost-effective, effective, and timely to meet the city's obligations under the housing element. Um, in regard to the supervisor's specific comments at a really high level, um, we should not be using land use policy and the approvals process as a policing function. Um, 
I think we agree we do not want uh, these bad actors. We don't want people turned out on the streets. We are very time is uh, concerned about displacement. But thank I you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Sorry to cut you off. We do have just one minute per speaker. We need to move on to the next speaker. Can we hear from that speaker now, please? Eileen Boken with Speak in strong opposition. This legislation would be the equivalent of urban renewal. It contains sweeping and unprecedented waivers of local democracy for environmental community and demolition review. Due to upward changes in the AMI levels used to define affordable housing, it could exacerbate gentrification. This legislation is inconsistent with the revised State Department of Finance population projections for 2020 to 2060. Uh, these revised projections show a decline of 2.9 percent from 870,000 in 2020 to 845,000 in 2060. The city's con uh, controller's office has verified that this is consistent with their own projections. And yet, Rena cycle number six and the housing element have aggressive goals over the next eight years. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen Boken, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Greetings, I'm Anastasia Yovanopoulos with San Francisco Tenants Union. We're a member of REP and the Anti-Displacement Coalition, urging you to reject the mayor's proposal and take up new legislation that puts affordable housing first, protect tenants against displacement, and values the voices of historically marginalized communities. The mayor proposes streamlining measures for developers to get their market rate projects entitled quicker with no guarantee that housing will ever be built. We oppose eliminating notice to tenants or a public hearing. Her proposal would encourage the destruction of precious rent control buildings and the permanent displacement of tenants. Where will I go? It contradicts housing element policy, which provides any removal of conditional use authorization for housing production would not demolish existing rent controlled units. All the proposed amendments we see in future ones that aren't, aren't a guarantee that tenants will not be displaced in demolition. Kill the Speaker's proposal. time is concluded. Thank you, Thank you Anastasia Yovanopoulos, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, uh, my name is Charlie Natoli, and I'm a resident of Mission Bay. Um, I'm calling in support of the constraints removal legislation. Um, it really strikes me that, you know, despite the wide range of views here, everyone, every one of the commenters really, really loves San Francisco, and everyone is also really hurt by our housing shortage. Um, I think this legislation will reduce costly process um, and will get us much closer to meeting our arena goals that we already agreed to, um, including goals for affordable housing production. Um, so in conclusion, please, please get this through. Um, please make this a city where we can all envision a future here. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Chair Melgar and Supervisors Peskin and Preston, Joseph Smook with the West Side Community Coalition and the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. The Rep Coalition urges the Land Use Committee to reject this legislation and replace it with new legislation that puts affordable housing first, protects tenants against displacement, and values the voices of historically marginalized communities. The legislation in front of you is the biggest giveaway to developers and the most significant threat to tenants since redevelopment and violates the city's legal obligation to affirmatively further fair housing. The dozens of equity-oriented 
implementation actions the board and the state approved that Rep detailed in our September 12th letter to the, to the board should serve as the foundation for how we implement our housing element. Rep appreciates Supervisor Melgar's, Preston's, and Mandelman's efforts to improve this legislation. Unfortunately, the underlying legislation would move our city in the wrong direction. Rep looks forward to working with you all on new legislation for racial and social equity. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph Smook, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Uh, hello, members of the Land Use um, Committee, Chair Megwar, Supervisors Preston and Peskin. My name is Carmen. Um, I'm with Westside Tenant Association and also a member of the Race and Equity and All Planning Commission. Um, as we said before, we strongly urge the Land Use Committee to make significant amendments to this streamlining legislation to put um, affordable housing first, protect tenants against displacement, and value the voices of historically marginalized communities. And if these amendments are not possible, then rep requests that this committee reject these and take up a new legislation to make these amendments. Um, we want to spe specify that this legislation describes a PEG SUD that is based on the outdated 2016 Department of Public Health data that was never intended to be used for land use policy or planning. I mean, it also was never coordinated with any organizations that actually work in historically marginalized communities. So we urge you to not use this data to um, justify these amendments um, to Speaker's this legislation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Carmen, for sharing your comments. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. This is Catherine Petron. I'm speaking on behalf of San Francisco Heritage. Thank you for the opportunity to comment. As on September 18th, the last time we weighed in on this legislation, we wish to go on the record in opposition based on our concerns about the impacts on historic resources and the removal of protections for properties listed on the California Register for Home SF projects. In addition, we align with this committee's previous comments about the value of public input via DRs and CUs and we will advocate for citizen participation in the planning process. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Catherine Petron, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is uh, Priya, and I'm with the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. Um, as many folks have mentioned, we believe there are significant issues with this legislation that harm our communities. And we're calling for either significant amendments to this legislation or for the committee to reject this legislation uh, Priya, I'm going to pause the time for just a moment. If you can hear me, we're getting a lot of wind and, and background noise. If you can speak directly into the microphone. Oh, I apologize. Much yeah. better. Please resume your time. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, good. Um, yeah, my name is Priya, and I'm with the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition, as I said. Um, as it's written, this legislation significantly takes out the opportunity for public input and public review, when in fact there are ways we can shorten the approval process and retain the voices of low-income and communities of color, which include our cultural districts. There's no reason to attempt to silence or disempower our communities or to undermine democratic processes, and this is supported by the Housing Element Action 8.4.21. The REP Coalition hopes that this committee will reject this legislation and commit to working with marginalized communities to write new legislation to implement the housing element in a way that affirmatively furthers fair housing. Thank you. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you, Priya, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? 
Good afternoon, Supervisors. Teresa Flandrick, North Beach Tenants Committee. I want to say how much I appreciate um, your discussion today and especially the reality of speculation and what it has done to uh, our community here in North Beach and in many other neighborhoods throughout the city. Uh, we need all of the protections in place. We also need to be sure that senior housing is not then removing the ability for those seniors to not have access to transit. So um, I, uh, unless these changes are made, I can't possibly support this and would ask that you um, kill it. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa Flandrick, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Is there a caller on the line? Uh, sorry. Hello. This is Kate. Uh, yes. Uh, this is Kate Bloomberg. I live in a rent-controlled uh, unit in District 10, and I strongly support this uh, legislation. Um, I believe that uh, housing as a speculative investment will continue until there's a greater supply of housing, and we need to remove constraints in order to enable this. Um, and our transit will never be secure until we have more housing and more density. If we tried to move, uh, our housing costs would be tripled or quadrupled um, after 22 years in rent control. Um, and that's not a tenable situation. Uh, so let's, let's stop per, uh, pretending that affordable, that housing is affordable for anyone in this, uh, in this city aside from a few millionaires and billionaires. Uh, San Francisco needs more housing. I support this legislation and I appreciate uh, uh, Chair Milgar's uh, work time concluded. to make it work for Thank her. Thank you district. for sharing your comments. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for convening and continuing to uh, you know, try and wrestle this, uh, frankly, untenable um, bill that you have in your, in your hands. Um, couple of simple points. Uh, we have about 40 to 75,000 units that are currently sitting empty in San Francisco. Um, why not rehab those units and put them back on the market as affordable units? Or do whatever you want with them, but do something because they're sitting empty. Um, whatever happened to finding landlords for keeping units empty? Um, and the other thing is, this does fall under urban renewal and potentially redevelopment, all of those euphemisms for gentrification and the, you know, basically mass exodus of people of color, minorities, and people who make this city the diverse and gorgeous tapestry that it is historically been. So why not table this bill, revisit it, Speaker's remove all Thank rent control. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Chair Melgar, President Keskin, Supervisor Preston, Peter Papadopoulos with Commission Economic Development Agency and Rep Coalition. It sounded like there are a number of author equity amendments brought forward that will take some steps towards the baseline alignment with the affirmatively furthering fair housing provisions of the housing element. And we want to ensure that we take further steps, including Chair Melgar's housing framework, associated tenant protections, as well as retaining our Mission Action Plan 2020 EU policies, specifically to name two areas required to complete this baseline alignment, would be removing state density bonus streamlining from priority equity geographies 
these projects are the majority of all housing projects built in communities of color, and it was never the understanding that this would provide somehow a blanket override of all AFSA framework. And second is to remove areas vulnerable from displacement from streamlining, which is detailed in Action 8.4.2. Thank you. Thank you, Peter Papadopoulos, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? I'm Scott Brown with the Mission Liberation Center. This ordinance must be voted down. I want to read some numbers from the last housing element report. In the high income category, 22,000 units have been constructed in the last seven years, which is over 175% of the target in that category. For all other incomes, low, moderate, and very low, less than 6,000 units constructed combined. That's less than 35% of the housing element's own target. I really resent Chair Melgar's statement that nothing nefarious is going on here. The city has been sold out to developers. There are 60,000 unaffordable housing units sitting vacant, empty, in the city right now. And meanwhile, 15,000 of our own residents are sleeping in the streets or sleeping in their cars because they can't afford the market rate housing that you're trying to build more of right here. This, this ordinance is going to exacerbate the city's crisis of housing affordability. And amendments can't fix this disaster. Vote it down. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Gene Matoli. I'm the San Francisco Organizing Director with the Action calling in support of this legislation. As I emphasized a couple weeks ago, a lot of this is stuff that we already agreed to in our housing element. And I appreciate the work by Chair Melgar and Supervisor Mandelman and the rest of the committee to introduce amendments and get it right. We should do that. But this is work that we said we were going to do. Constraints reduction is something that we need to do. You know it's a real problem. We know the process takes a long, long time, longer than anywhere in California, and that's unacceptable. We can really do better and do it more quickly. So please support this today. Thank you. Thank you, Jane Natoli, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is Stephanie, and I'm with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and I'm just calling in to voice our opposition of this. This is something that is really going to exacerbate the homeless problem in the city. And I can't understand how people would see the amount of people that are so much fortunate and really rely on affordable housing and just say, you know what, we should actually get rid of it. That's, that's not a good, you know, we, we need to be thinking about the people that need housing and you need to be building more, for, or not really building, but like refurbishing the housing that we currently have that are currently just sitting there and make it so that that's affordable housing so that people can live instead of doing whatever you can to gentrify San Francisco, which is part of what this is. So, yeah. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? This is Kim Cavalloni from the San Francisco Labor Council. This morning, my executive board voted against supporting this legislation. We feel this legislation would be devastating to working families in San Francisco, and there's nothing to reassure them of their homes and doesn't do enough for affordability in San Francisco. So we urge you to vote this legislation down. Thank you. Thank you, Kim Tavaglioni, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Yes, hi, um, my name is Renee Lazare. And uh, I'm here to say I uh, oppose this vehemently, and please vote this down. I sent a detailed letter uh, to the 
committee and uh, board, et cetera, earlier today regarding this ordinance. Um, I feel like everyone keeps talking about that affordability, but this program is really nothing. It's not affordable. They need to revamp the program. Also, simple math is they're saying we need 82,000 new units. Half of that's for affordable, which isn't affordable, but there are 60,000 vacant units. Convert them. There's also 142,000 approximately in the pipeline, been built, going to be built. Use that for the affordable housing. We do need affordable housing for all, not just, you know, some, some, but we need to revamp it so it really is affordable and it works. Also, you cannot fast track things from the planning department and to get rid of CEQA. We need to think about, you know, that and the things that were protected. Speaker's time has concluded. To protect Thank all you, of Renee, for sharing your comments. The committee could be here from the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar and Supervisors Peskin and Preston, Jean-Tel Labyrinth with the Rep Coalition. As others have said, Rep strongly urges this committee to make significant amendments to refocus on equity. And if that's not possible, please reject this legislation and instead work with communities to move forward the dozens of equity-oriented implementation actions in the housing element approved by the board earlier this year that are referenced in the letter Rep sent to this committee last week. Our communities need a truly affordable and dignified housing. You know, we have a clear mandate that 57% of the housing to be built must be permanently affordable for very low to moderate income households. In the last cycle, the city fell short in its affordable goal by more than 8,000 units. We can't continue to fall further behind and need commitment to ensure that we don't. The Rep Coalition hopes that this committee will reject this legislation and commit to working with communities on new legislation that influence the housing element to affirmatively further fair housing and center racial and social equity. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Hello, Supervisors. My name is Francis Lee. I'm a District 9 Mission resident calling to reject this very large legislation that seems fraught with loopholes and lacks of incentives specifically for affordable housing. I've been really encouraged by the opening of the many new 100% affordable developments in my neighborhood. And I know that public input and reviews were key in allowing my neighbors in the community to advocate and negotiate for them. Please do not streamline process at the expense of our most vulnerable residents. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hi, thank you. My name is Skylar, and I'm here from Green Action for Health and Environmental Justice, calling on behalf of myself, our members, supporters, and constituents all across the city. We oppose the Engardio Breed Dorsey Housing Protection Ordinance as it is an attack on the community, the environment, and on affordable housing. This ordinance would further gentrify San Francisco and push current residents out of the city by driving more middle, working, and lower-class San Franciscans out of the city or onto the streets. San Francisco already has at least 60,000 vacant housing units and a vast amount of empty office space that can, can be converted into thousands more apartments. We do not need more housing construction. We need to make our existing housing spaces affordable. This ordinance would gut environmental and community review protections and would establish redevelopment zones that would allow corporate real estate to even more easily build unhealthy housing on toxic and radioactive waste sites like those at Baby Hunters Point and Treasure Island where government agencies have falsely claimed are cleaned up. Parcel A of the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard was redeveloped by the city, and after the housing development was built and, ho and housed residents, a radioactive deck marker was found, proving the site was not clean or properly remediated. Please vote Speaker's down on this un unacceptable corporate attack. Thank you, Skylar, for sharing your comments with the committee. Sorry to cut you off. We have to move on to the next speaker. Can we be connected, please? 
Hello, my name is Magic Altman from Potrero Hill. First of all, I want to say that it, when we press three, it says you have raised your hand to ask a question, which does not respect that we are calling in to comment. I've asked this to be changed over and over again. Also, uh, the way our structure is, the mayor doesn't have to talk to us or listen to us at all. We need to change that. Also, we give a land use um, acknowledgement every day. I suggest the first step in making that have some teeth is to actually have a loanee representation at the land use committee because you know what they'd say we hear the committee is not listening to the people every comment has shown you that for the people who live work and care about each other and community and the homeless is being disregarded in this ordinance and it's just for the money over and over again reject this get some advice from people that are in the community and care about each other that's what you're hearing over and over again you know this is wrong do the right thing concluded. thank you thank you magic altman for sharing your comments can we have the next speaker please hi i'm an Rama, a housing organizer with senior and disability action i'm speaking in opposition to the housing production plan because it will impact senior and disabled people with displacement and no affordable right of return the gentrification spurred by this ordinance will push city rents higher driving many senior and disabled san franciscans with limited means out of the city or onto the streets this ordinance promotes building new high-priced housing that is not affordable. The ordinance calls housing, mostly for families making over $230,000 per year, affordable. We already have a 50% oversupply of housing for those income levels. This plan would, bring, would build housing for the wealthy, displace seniors and people with disabilities, and is a giveaway to corporate real estate speculators. Please oppose this co corporate attack on San Francisco's senior and disability community. Thank you. Thank you, Anaxal Rama, for bringing your comments to committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Queen D9 resident and United States Mission and member of Breath. Please reject this legislation. This legislation turns the entire city over to speculators and developers for micro-rate housing with rents we cannot afford. The mission is plagued with eviction stories involving unscrupulous developers. And in the past eight years alone, we fell 8,000 units short of our affordable housing goal, leading to evictions that increased homelessness, reduced tenants earning, and impede credit access. This endless financial speculation on stolen land is killing everything, all the while the mayor is scapegoating us, working class dignified people with police when their neoliberal property hoarding schemes fall through. We need to commit not only conversations, but funding through legislation for affordable housing and protecting tenants against displacement. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hello, my name is Christine Hansen. Thank you, supervisors, for your efforts to curb unexpected consequences in advance of the passage of this ordinance. Supervisor Mandelman's comments about potential dangers to board and care homes is a great example for the timely need to protect important elements unique to our city and to our neighborhoods. The community is your best partner in this. We are your eyes on the ground, but this ordinance will pull the rug out from under community efforts to do just that by closing the community out of the process. The need to keep our voice present in the processes is crucial, and we are your best ally towards building truly affordable housing. Please remember that. Thank you, Christine Hansen, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hello, Howard Wong, San Francisco Tomorrow, opposing the legislation. I think we need some amendments to guide 
our city towards affordable housing and better design and planning of affordable housing and low-income housing and homeless housing. As a member of uh, Port Advisory Bodies, I've worked on Pier 70, Mission Rock, which had 30 and 40% affordable housing. I think we also have to look at architectural innovation around the world, like the work of Le Catan and Basel of France, Shigeru Ban of Japan. We have to look at concepts of housing. What is housing? Social housing, co-housing, micro-housing. I think the professional architectural community and planning community should be able to weigh in to provide those guidelines and how we can better use existing space, existing buildings, existing workplace. Thank you, Howard Wong. Thank you, Howard Wong, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hello, my name is Davian Contreras. I'm calling on behalf of Save Cap Street, uh, collective of neighbors in the Mission District. In particular, I'm speaking on behalf of dozens of senior citizens, many with limited hearing and mobility, and who do not have the luxury of affordable or accessible internet or calls. So I'm speaking on their behalf. I would like to, for this legislation to be uh, rejected. Uh, I do not know if it can be amended. Um, first and foremost, it does not have any rights uh, gets rid, uh, rid of affordable housing rights, uh, does not protect tenants, and most importantly, uh, silences the voices of our most uh, uh, in need uh, in our community. I've been to dozens of planning hearing commissions, and for the most part, the constant theme is well-heeled developers with the most financial legal resources who are usually try to get around um, special rules and are usually fall back on two uh, Playing dumb or uh, better to say sorry than to time is concluded. ask for permission. This Thank you, Mr. Contreras, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Rudy Gonzalez, San Francisco Building Trades. We stand in opposition alongside the San Francisco Labor Council. Associate ourselves with uh, Mr. Peskin's comments. I mean, this does feel like small ball. If it were a legitimate proposal, the mayor's office would have approached this with care and discipline the same way you all negotiated and won together for the sake of the entire city amendments to the inclusionary zoning. It was based on evidence. It was based on a supply conversation. It'll unlock some real projects. That's the big win is to go for major projects with important density connected to transit and affordability. This is just a cynical attempt to fight with the board and paint you all as anti-housing. Let's scrap it, start over, and do something real. Thank you, Rudy Gonzalez, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, Supervisors. My name is Lori Lederman, Inner Sunset District 7. I urge you to oppose this Orwellian legislation. It is an invitation to demolish existing homes and businesses. While providing an illusion of protection for tenants, it eliminates the means for appealing projects where prior evictions or manipulative buyouts occurred. It fails to set affordability levels that can be met by the vast majority of San Franciscans. It fails to protect small neighborhood-serving businesses that will be vulnerable to demolition. It is a recipe for displacement. While providing much-needed exemptions for so-called priority equity geographies, it fails to recognize vulnerabilities that proliferate in many of the so-called well-resourced neighborhoods. If this were a rational plan, it would recognize that San Francisco has lost population. There are tens of thousands of already approved housing units yet to be built due to not, not to any so-called constraints, but rather to high interest rates. 
please oppose or dramatically amend this legislation. Thank you. Thank you, Lori Lederman, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, I'm Mitchell Omerberg with the Affordable Housing Alliance. We also work with the San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition and the REP Coalition and want to associate ourselves with the statements that you receive from them. If there's not going to be any notice or false fact-finding hearing, we're going to need to find another way to protect rent control housing from demolition. Otherwise, we're just relying on the say-so of developers who, you know, all too often it's like asking the foxes, were there any hens in that hen house? That's just not an adequate way to protect rent-controlled housing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is Armand Domolewski. I'm calling on behalf of support of this legislation. I think it's deeply important to reduce gentrification by increasing the building of housing in San Francisco. Um, there are a couple of comments made about the number of vacancies. I think that information is really inaccurate. If you actually look at the report that generated that, the vast majority of those are things that are in between rentals. So like if I rent out my unit and or if somebody rents out a unit, they move out and there's a week in between where the next person comes, if they check at that moment, it'll count as a vacant unit. This idea that there are 60,000 units sitting for the plucking is just a line. It's an excuse made not to build new housing. Even the vacancy tax proposed and passed by Supervisor Dean Preston, uh, the report itself would only affect 4,000 units, which is great. Let's get those online, but we have to actually build more housing. The second thing is SB 330 protections are really key, as uh, Planning Director Richard Hill specifically said. If you remove anyone controlled housing, you're required to replace it. Um, and this legislation doesn't allow people to be evicted. So Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Sorry to cut you off. We have to move on to the next speaker. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Uh, good afternoon, Chair Mildar and Supervisors Preston and President Peskin. This is Reina Teo calling on behalf of Poder, um, who is a member of the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. Uh, we strongly urge you to reject this legislation. The more I hear the public commenting, the woman who spoke about incomes, that is very real and that is the base that we work with. And we feel like there is not enough affordable housing uh, to be deeply affordable enough for those community members. And we need to prioritize affordable housing since the housing element commits the city to build 57% of all new housing to be affordable for very low, low and moderate income households. And we need to do some real work there before we can give any developers any kind of leeway or giveaway um, for them to build more market rate housing that will sit empty. Um, I want to thank President Peskin for reading our letter the, from the Rep Coalition. I really appreciate that. And I'm actually looking forward to- Speaker's time has concluded. Thank you, Raina Tello, for sharing your comments. Sorry to cut you off. We have to move on to the next speaker. Could we please be connected to the next speaker? Uh, can you hear me? We can barely hear you. We're hearing mostly background noise. If you can, if you can find a way to speak to the microphone and silence that background noise. Can you hear me now? Please begin. Hi. Hi, my name is Jessica Polo. I'm a local real estate agent. I support this bill because we need to build more housing and follow the housing element so that San Francisco won't get sued by the state and everything. But most importantly, is that like, the only way out of this housing crisis we are in is that we need to build our way out. And this bill will help us build more in San Francisco. Uh, 
Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Before we hear from the next speaker, just a reminder to those who are still waiting for their opportunity to address the Land Use Committee for Agenda Item Number 4, if you could please make sure that you are in a quiet place, turn down the volume on your television, your streaming device, whatever you may be using, and that will prevent us from having any issues with wind or echo. We'll hear you clearly. Can we get the next speaker, please? Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Robert Fruckman. I am a volunteer lead with San Francisco Yimby. Uh, I want to remind you that Program 8.4.5 of the Housing Element says that the city will, quote, eliminate commission hearings on any code-complying project in the well-resourced neighborhoods subject to the Housing Accountability Act, unquote, by January 31st, 2024. We're a mere four months away from the deadline, and we're considering the retention of commission hearings for housing projects that adhere to city codes. These proposed amendments take us in a direction that contradicts the very goal that this board unanimously agreed upon. I understand that you all have good intentions. I encourage you to explore alternative means to achieve these aims. We are now entering dangerous territory. The discussed amendments go against the promise that the city itself described as key for compliance with state law. The clock is ticking and February is fast approaching if you choose to proceed with these amendments, I hope you will take full responsibility Speaker's for the consequences time is that arise Thank from you, Robert Fruckman, for sharing your com uh, comments with the committee. Can we please hear from the next speaker? Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Steve Leeds, an inner sunset resident, member of the Westside Tenants Association, which is a member of the RIP Coalition. Public investment is badly needed to build affordable housing. SF needs to commit funding through legislation for, for that housing. This is supported by the Housing Element Action 1.1.2. We can't risk it all on a bond that might or might not pass and 300 million is a drop in the bucket. This legislation needs major changes. If there isn't any significant public investment, our city will keep repeating the same old mistakes and promote the fallacy that the market will solve our problems by building more housing, which history tells us will be unaffordable and won't meet the needs of our many people. We must do the right thing and commit to equity and fairness by significant funding for affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen Lee, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Supervisors, Lorraine, Lorraine Teddy, Affordable Housing Advocates for Seniors. Um, analyzing circulated and uncirculated amendments, I must still urge you to reject constraints reduction ordinance and replace it with an ordinance focused on streamlining only, affordable housing protection and production and anti-displacement protections. Such a bill would be compliant with the housing element and actually build the housing that we need. The aims of the constraints reduction are to promote unneeded high profit condo building by removing existing affordable housing, removing the public from decision making, and removing the regulations that protect the public from unscrupulous developers. Amending even sincerely would be like slapping a thousand band-aids on a terminally ill patient and, and um, pronouncing them cured. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine Petty, for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. It's Georgia Shudish. Uh, I really 
think you cannot get rid of neighborhood notification to either groups or individual nearby uh, property owners. I think that would be a huge mistake. And I guess I have a question. Why is this legislation needed at all? We have all the other things that the city has put forward, that the state has put forward. We have Chair Melgar's legislation, her SUD. That seems like that should be sufficient to get us going between now and the next 10 years under the current arena goals, which are questionable. Thank you. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you for sharing your comments, Georgia Shudish. Can we get the next speaker, please? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, please begin. Hi, my name is Nancy Pili Hernandez. I'm the manager of the Excelsior Resource Hub. I'm calling to voice my support for scrapping this entire streamlining process and prioritizing putting some effort into making the housing element a reality. To me, this reads like a manifesto from the Borg in Star Trek. Currently outside of our doors, do we have empty condos, vacant commercial units, and families sleeping in cars? If this legislature would have been in place 10 years ago, we would have not have any of the recent wins in affordable housing that we have recently celebrated. Because it was the public comment process that transformed the monster in the mission from 25% BMR that was being offered into 100% that will be offered in the future. It was the public comment process that transformed the Balboa Upper Yard into what is now Capuso. It was the public comment process that transformed 4840 Mission from a funeral home into what is currently almost ready to be home for our neighbors. It was the public comment process that transformed the parking lot on Folsom Street into Casa Adelante. It was the people who transformed Speaker's Phoenix High School into what is now 100% affordable. Thank you for affordable. sharing your comments with the committee. Sorry to cut you off. We do have to move on to the next speaker. Can we please be connected? Layla Stanley, counselor with the San Francisco Tenants Union. Removing transparency in governmental affairs is never a good idea. Tenants should have the right to public comment where the true history of the building is revealed. We cannot rely on the information submitted to and coming from the planning department. This legislation offers a strong incentive for landlords to displace vulnerable tenants by intimidation, which generates no records, to reward landlords who do not file buyouts at the rent board, to encourage misrepresentation on permit applications. After all, there will be no public hearing no one contesting the misrepresentations, and no penalty for lying on the declaration. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Uh, this is Sue Hester. I am a District 9 resident. I've been dealing with this issue in the Planning Commission for a long time, decades. There is Recent people, I want to commend Mandelman, Melgar, Peskin, and Preston for raising thoughtful questions to try and get to the core issues about how we serve the people of the city. Every one of the supervisors that is really conscious of who they represent and a lot of people that they represent are low-income people should be commended. The trickle-down theory of, of housing has been bought into by a bunch of people that have no experience, real experience, in building housing. The people that really build affordable housing, I've heard here, 
across the board are having questions about the Thank you, Sue Hester, for sharing your comments. Sorry to cut you off. We do have to move on to the next speaker. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, this is Adam from D6, and I just wanted to reiterate, we desperately need more homes in San Francisco. Um, there's just not enough for, to meet the demand. And we've heard a lot about, about developers, 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 but what we're not talking about are all the property owners and property speculators who have made millions over the years. Um, all we have to do is look back in history. Um, you know, remember, in the 70s, before downzoning and gentrification, the hate was 40% black. Um, Calvin Welch and Hank pushed forth downzoning across the city. They made a shitload, I believe that's the technical term, shitload of money for property owners in the hate and throughout the city over the years by blocking new housing. Um, we've had projects like Trinity Plaza, which, yes, they eliminated um, some, but replaced it with even more rent-controlled housing than was there before. If we do nothing, the builder's remedy is coming. You know, I support this legislation, but say, hey, if you guys want to vote no, vote no, and let concluded. the builder's remedy Thank come. You. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, for sharing your comments. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Hello, my name is Gilbert Williams. I'm with the, the Rep Coalition, Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. Uh, I just want to remind the board that in the last eight years, we fell 8,000 units short of our affordable housing goals. Increasing the homelessness in our city and falling further behind is going to be disastrous for the whole city. That the, re the current housing element commits us to build 57% of our new housing as affordable for very low, low and moderate income households. There's nothing in this legislation that, that addresses that. I haven't heard any conversation around that and it's, it's really disappointing. We deserve better as a city. And I strongly urge the board to reject this and, and Concentrate on what's needed in this city, affordable housing for very low, low, and moderate income. Thank you. Thank you, Gilbert Williams, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dawn Ma. I'm a San Francisco resident, a business owner, and a licensed engineer. Um, a lot of the social issues are brought up today, but for me, my design colleagues and um, construction colleagues, we stand on the front line of battling houses, uh, uh, housing crisis every day. The majority of our clients are not some scary developers, but people like you and me, living in old buildings that are no longer serving us. Every day we come face to face with actual physical condition of San Francisco building, and we have to give a grade, it's D for desperate. To spend two years in a CUA hearing or something like that and thousands of dollars for buildings that, no long, that have no saving value just doesn't help with housing or equity issues. This legislation is about improving the process. We all know it's not working. We, we all know that we're notorious bureaucracy, which becomes unaffordable for everyone because time is money. The name is literally constraint reduction. It's something we all agree on. By rejecting this Speaker's legislation to deliberately delay. Thank you, Speaker, for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Yes, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please begin. Thank you, uh, Supervisors. Bridget Maley, former president of the San Francisco Landmarks Advisory Board. This legislation will have grave consequences on our city on multiple levels. 
This legislation takes away the ability of neighbors, members of the public, neighborhood associations, tenants, and tenants' rights advocates to be notified of projects and will limit how we engage in the conversations about how we build and what we build in our city. I encourage you to start from scratch. This is not what we need. We need affordable housing. This legislation will encourage market rate housing. We don't need more market rate housing. If you look at Zillow and on apartments.com, there are thousands of units available, and we know there are many, many vacant units that landlords choose to leave vacant. I also have serious concerns about the impact of this legislation on, our, on the neighborhood character and the parks that we all appreciate in our city and that bring millions of tourist dollars to our community. Why is this legislation even needed? We have, we have already Speaker's enacted other concluded. tools. I urge you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Sorry to cut you off. We do have to move on to the next speaker. Could we please be connected now? Good afternoon. Larissa Pedrincelli with United to Save the Mission, the Rep Coalition, and the Latino Task Force asking that you reject this legislation. The PEG SUD in this legislation excludes many critical communities and provides no protections against displacement. Refusing to include and protect these areas of high displacement and displacement acceleration while simultaneously incentivizing the production of market rate housing through deregulation is a path to increase homelessness and demand for deeply affordable housing when we currently have an almost insurmountable deficit. As an example, when La Phoenix opened in late 2020, 9,010 households applied for 115 units. Since then, the need has grown exponentially. Homelessness in the Latinx community has increased by 55%. Our rent-controlled units often hold 12 to 17 people per unit. Each unit lost is not inconsequential. We need Speaker's to see the creation of housing legislation. Thank you, Larissa Pedrincelli, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, uh, Chair Melgar, Supervisor Preston, President Peskin, Francisco Herrera here with uh, working with day laborers and immigrant families in San Francisco with Caminante Cultural Foundation with United States the Mission and Latino Task Force. Please reject the present proposal, which is irresponsible legislation and unresponsive to the needs of families earning 20 to $50,000 a year. And it's a violation of furthering the fair, fair housing, uh, which is detailed in the present housing element. Thank you very much. Thank you, Francisco Herrera, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Have we found an unattended line? Perhaps we can come back around to it. Oh, I'm sorry, I unmuted. Uh, Adam's comments about how, you know, homeowners fed mil made millions and millions. There are plenty of those that have not made millions and millions. And some of these laws will affect the ones who are on a fixed income greatly. So it's not just non or, or homeowners. It's things that, that you're not considering with the financial thing that they're saying if they sell their house and get into one of these units that they'll be better off. They necessarily won't be better off. They'll have to pay capital gains, they won't have as much financial freedom where they did not have a mortgage, they had low property taxes because they worked hard for it or bought it when they themselves thought they couldn't afford anything decades and decades ago. 
yeah, they will lose a lot of their financial freedom and power and be in a worse situation. And may end up being one of these poor souls who are living on the streets that we are all concerned about. So as far as people all making millions from their own home, I'm sorry, that is just not always the case. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, Supervisors. Good afternoon. My name is Amy Beinart. I've spent many years developing affordable housing with community-based nonprofits, and I've been participating with the Race and Equity and Planning Coalition. I urge you to reject this unnecessary and potentially devastating legislation. Experience in the previous RENA cycle shows that clearly when new housing prices were on a steady climb, profit-seeking developers flooded the market with units far beyond the reach of most San Franciscans. Developers weren't being hindered by process, not at all, not when there was so much money to be made. Market rate developers will build when the investment return projections suit them, and affordable housing development needs money and sites. This legislation is a hodgepodge of code cha changes. Instead of enabling the nearly 50,000 units of affordable housing we so desperately need, it is a gift to developers and a diversion from the housing element goals you recently adopted. I urge you to reject this now and redirect your attention to the real work that is needed, allocating funding for affordable housing and identifying and acquiring sites across the city. Thank you for hearing my comments today. Thank you, Amy Beinart, for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Jordan Grimes, Resilience Manager with Greenbelt Alliance and strong support of the Constraints Reduction Ordinance as San Francisco desperately needs to remove planning barriers to spur new infill housing development. There's overwhelming need and demand for new housing in the Bay Area at all income levels. And the question is not whether it will get built, but where. The vast majority of new housing getting built on our state right now is single family sprawl in the Central Valley. In order to shift this paradigm, we need big cities and temperate climate areas like San Francisco to start changing policies, making it easier to build the housing we need where we need it. in some environmentally sustainable and climate resilient ways. This ordinance will do just that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Jonathan Brunemann. I'm a resident of District 2 and a lead at uh, Northern Neighbors, a neighborhood group here. I urge you to support this legislation. It is absolutely critical um, to attack our housing crisis head on. And this is only a small piece of it, but it is a desperately necessary piece in a city where processes are unpredictable and they add up to real costs, prohibiting the kind of infill development that we desperately need to fight climate change. And besides all of that, it is just very clear that if you do not pass this legislation, HCD will have to step in and do something if the city is unserious about tackling its housing shortage. And so you, have, you absolutely have to pass this legislation so to make good on the housing element promises that you have already made and make sure we tackle our extremely dire housing shortage. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Madam Chair, we have no further callers in the queue. All right, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Clerk. So public comment on this item is now closed. Okay, so I, um, understand that uh, President Peskin wanted to ask a few questions of one of the commenters who had presented some data that we didn't quite finish. And um, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, if I, uh, in my unlimited power of inquiry, could ask Ms. Rom just to present the balance of her slides 
I know they are in the record, but it would be edifying to see them. Thank you so much, uh, President Pesk and Chair Melgar, for allowing me to finish going through these numbers. Um, so I believe, I believe I reached the slide where I was just showing you a deep dive on a three-year period starting from 2018 revealed that the vast majority of the CUs were for business change of use. And when it came to DRs, the majority involved single-family homes. Now, looking closely at DRs filed in 2018 against projects with single-family homes revealed that the great majority, I'm sorry, overhead is not showing this, terribly sorry. Okay, that's good, thank you. Um, so looking closely at the numbers for 2018 against projects that were, DRs were filed against them for single-family homes, uh, we, we find out that 26 of them were for expansions with no added units. So um, as the green section of the pie chart shows, only seven projects that were DR'd were proposals to add one or more units. And the rest that are shown in the shades of gray were expansions, alterations, or legalizing unpermitted work. This is the problem that Supervisor Mandelman's monster home legislation tackled because as the data shows, expanding and tearing down small homes do not add units. Moving on to showing the pattern for I'm sorry, I am just making sure that I am on the right slide. Terribly sorry about that. Uh, yes, so moving on to do a deep dive for conditional use authorizations for DUs for 2018. The highest number was, as you can see, for non-residential CUs. And the second one comes down to single-family homes. And as I said before, the vast majority of non-residential CUs were for change of use. So now let's look at CUs for single-family homes in the same year. As the green section of the pie chart shows, there were more proposals for single-family homes that added units. But when you look at the ones that did not add units, well, obviously this is something that Chair Melgar, your legislation actually took care of. So there is no problem. Right now, we're not gonna have conditional use authorizations for single-family homes. And the ones that actually generated units as you can see on the pie chart, on the green section of the pie charts, well, that's great. So something actually 
happened, demolition happened, that actually brought more units. But the ones, you know, I mean, it is not insignificant. If you look at the merger of units, if you look at all the ones in the red, merger of units, UDU removals, these were for actually getting rid of units. Um, one other thing that I would like to actually point out, and that is the DRs for multi-unit um, buildings, that is also of value to cover because there was a discussion about rent-controlled homes, multi-units, that basically demolition is going to, they're going to be protected against demolition because SB 330 is going to come to the rescue or maybe this particular proposal is going to be amended to outlaw demolition of tenant-occupied tenant housing. So I just wanted to show this slide that actually shows that even with respect to existing multi-unit buildings, we do have quite a bit that were expanded with no added units. Now, that brings me to the point that I would like to make, and I wish that this was somewhat covered in this discussion, that it's not just demolition. You know that there is a concept called rent eviction, where um, tenants get moved out, they get bought out, because the building is going to be expanded. And as you know, our demolition law and what the threshold that has been described for for what, is constitute, what constitutes demolition or tantamount to demolition in this city is very, very lax. So oftentimes what comes across as um, demolition, what is truly demolition comes across as uh, renovation and it goes through. So not giving notice, be it demolition or alteration to tenant-occupied housing does not serve the tenants who happen to make up 64% of the city, the majority of residents well. So I urge you, as you're thinking about amendments, think about how we could protect the unprotected properties in this town. Thank you so much for allowing me to go through this. I'm sorry it was a little bit out of sync. But yeah, it's okay. I really appreciate you doing uh, all of the data crunching. That is a really good Absolutely. work. Thank you, uh, Ms. Rom. Uh, uh, President Pascal. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and thank you, Ms. Rom. And going back to Supervisor Mandelman's baby with bathwater, I mean, if what we are after is expand additional units, additional units. That seems to be what we are after. Director Hillis is nodding his head in the affirmative. Then why don't we just focus, maybe this is a question to the mayor's representative, why don't we just focus this on constraint reductions for those things? So when you are dealing with DRs for expansions, and there happens to be an eviction, why do we care about constraints there? Because that's an opportunity for somebody to say that they're in the midst of a rent eviction. Um, but if the mission and objective is, and I think we all agree that we want this, more units, then how about we reduce constraints there and then 317 and 311 and DRs still apply in these other areas where you're not getting additional units. Why not? 
Thank you for the question, President Peskin, Tom Polino, Mayor's representative to the board. Um, I'm happy to take that feedback back to my colleagues and to set up a conversation for, um, for that conversation to happen. Okay, can we have Mr. Hillis, please? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, to, to answer your question, Supervisor Peskin, a lot of this does, right? I think currently 317, you can expand a single family home, right? You can expand a single family home to 4,000 square feet as long as it fits in the envelope of the of the planning code. You can't tear down that home and build three 1,200 square foot units. So I think some of this is trying to get at that, like allowing that to happen. I mean, I don't think we're saying we're encouraging demolition of single family homes everywhere, but right now the incentive is to expand a single family home. It's economically probably more valuable and the process is easier. So I think we're, we're trying to say, level that playing field. And if you're not demoing a historic building that had tenants, um, you know, allow for the opportunity to convert that into a three-unit building where the underlying zoning and with your legislation allows for that. So I think in a lot of cases, this does that. Allow for a large lot in an RH2 district to have four units if it's greater than the 25 by 100 foot lot. If it's 50 by 100, allow it to have four units. I think that's what this underlying zoning is getting at. Right now, you need a CU to do that. So I think this is getting at some of that. Does all of it do it? We can argue about it, but I think a lot of this legislation is trying to do that. I guess I'm arguing for playing bigger ball, which is kind of like the legislation that I did on a temporary basis that the plan commissioner heard to make permanent that will come before this committee before too much longer, um, which is if you want to expand, if you want a monster home, we're saying that path is actually sure. going to be much more difficult. If you want to go build the three units, that path is going to be a lot smoother. So I, I'm not but arguing not for the leveling case. of the that's playing field. That's not the case. I'm that's not the case now. It is the case that. in your your legislation and RCRM. You all spent a lot of time rezoning to allow for four units, six units on the corner. The underlying approval still is much more difficult to build that three or four units than it is to expand your single family home. Can I ask one more question while you're still up there? Uh, the um, question that you were nodding uh, in the negative while uh, Supervisor Mandelman was talking about the board and care homes. Yeah, this doesn't get rid of that, nor the um, laundromat CU. So it, it calls out a couple of CUs that it does eliminate. Okay, but, but not the doesn't board and care the CU, CU for to eliminate that use or the, the laundry facility yeah. CU. Okay, I didn't think so. Yeah. Okay, uh, did you have something to say, Supervisor Preston? Okay, so then I would like to uh, make a motion that we approve uh, the amendments that were read into the record by um, Mr. Starr that were requested by the mayor's office. And let's vote on that and then I'll make another motion to adopt my amendments. A motion has been offered by Chair Mulgar to accept the amendments read into the record by the planning department on that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition.
Thank you. And I'd like to make another, a second motion to approve the amendments uh, that I read into the record. Um, did you want to say something before we vote? Supervisor Peskin, go ahead. I assume that all of these will end up in one new file. And if through <laughs> the chair to Deputy City Attorney Gualco Nelson, you can show them in two different colors so we can track which were the Melgar amendments and which were the mayor planning department amendments that would be helpful for everybody i think thank you thank you so there's a motion on the floor offered by the chair to accept the amendments that she prepared for the committee on that motion vice chair preston preston i member peskin aye peskin aye chair melgar aye melgar aye madam chair once again there is no opposition Thank you. Uh, so I'd like to make a last motion to continue this item to our meeting on October 16th. On the motion to continue the ordinance as amended twice to the date certain of October 16th in this committee, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. No opposition, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, Mr. Clerk, let's go back to item number two. Agenda item number is, agenda item number two is still called, but I will mention once again that it is an ordinance amending the administrative code to delegate Board of Supervisors approval authority under Charter Section 9118 and Admin Code Section 2330 to the Real Estate Division in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to amend certain existing leases regarding residual rent payments and lender protections for 100% affordable housing projects. Madam Chair, we did already hear and close public comment on this item. Okay, Supervisor, uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Um, as I indicated earlier, I would like to make two amendments on page two at line 12 to delete the words uh, enter into and so that it reads the authority to amend. And then thank you to uh, Deputy City Attorney and Pearson for adding or changing uh, subsection six to read other than modify the lease as authorized under subsection A5 of section two. This ordinance, of this ordinance, the amendment does not A, materially increase the t liability or obligations of the city under the lease or B, change the duration of the lease or C, impose any other new obligations on the city or D, materially decrease the benefits to the city with respect to the property under the lease. And my understanding is that language is acceptable to council for the mayor's office of housing. You want to make a motion? I would like to make those amendments to item number two. Just for my clarity for this uh, through the chair to member Peskin, just those two amendments or as well the amendments oh, that were presented the from the department Oh, and the amendments that they well. introduced at the last minute, yes. Okay, so <laughs> the, the textual amendments uh, provided by the department as well as those two spot amendments that were made in committee today. On that motion offered by member Peskin, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there was no opposition. Okay. Uh, do you want to make a motion that we pass the whole thing? I will. Should I send this to the clerk, or you're going to send this to the clerk through the chair? You've got it. Okay. I would like to move to send the item as three times amended to the full Board of Supervisors with a positive recommendation. 
on the motion that the ordinance be sent to the Board of Supervisors as amended with a recommendation of Land Use Committee. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. There is no opposition, Madam Chair. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items on the agenda? There is no further business. Good. We are adjourned. Thank you.